I live my life a quarter mile at a time. Nothing else matters, not the mortgage, not the store, not my team and all that bullshit. For those 10 seconds or less, I'm free. On your mark. Get set. Welcome to now playing Fast and Furious Retrospective Series. It's gonna be an all time of the night. Bet you're gonna enjoy this. Hosted by Arnie. Look, man, I don't just think outside the box. I tear it up. It's my thing. Stuart. You're the last person in the world I expected to show up. And Jacob. Like it or not, you and your friends are a part of it now. I don't have friends. I got family. These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers, harsh language, and incentive to drive beyond the posted speed limit. I'm going to enjoy whatever Listener discretion is advised. Only live once. Let's do it. Talking over race. Today, we're putting the pedal to the metal for F9, starring Vin Diesel, Michelle Rodriguez, Tyrese Gibson, Ludacris, John Cena, Jordana Brewster, Nathalie Emanuel, Soon Kang, Michael Rooker, with Kellen Mirren, with Kurt Russell, and Charlize Theron, directed by Justin Lin. This is your favorite American, co-host of Now Playing, Arnie, Glad to be back podcasting with family. And Stuart. And this is Violent J, a.k.a. Jacob with a K, and I'm here to discuss tanks, subs, Roman likes dessert, frickin' magnets, how do they work? And like this film, I don't want to consult a scientist. Y'all mother truckers lining and getting me pissed. <laughs> Was this from the end credit rap? This is the opening I wrote when I saw the trailer and they're like, magnets. I'm like, oh, okay, it's Insane Clown Posse. That, Insane Clown Posse, the film. Go watch Miracles st- to start this off. Miracles, the music video by Insane Clown Posse. Strong recommend. Way better than F9, whatever we're calling this. F9, what, Family Saga? The Fast Saga? I don't even know. F9, the Fast Saga. The title is awful. Can a single film be a saga? I think it's kind of like Solo, a Star Wars story, or Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Those are stories. That's a single thing. This is a saga. Sagas like multiple things. Right. Now that we have Hobbs and Shaw out there, it's all part of the fast saga. Yeah, I just said it was Fanine. Yeah. I'm hoping it's Fanine. That, yeah, that was my highest hope. Is this movie Fanine? <laughs> I'm hoping. It is not. This is the beginning of the end, though. They have decided F11 will be the end. We are in the final trilogy. Eleven? Is that the next film or is that in two films? Do they count Hobbs and Shaw because this should be ten, right? No, no, no. They don't count Hobbs and Shaw or any other spinoffs that may come. As far as the Dominic Toretto family fast saga, F11 will be the last. Justin Lin will be the director for the final three. He's back. He was the director of the best installments, really. I mean, three through six. He didn't do seven, which is up there as one of the best, but he's the one who really righted this franchise, gave it a direction, gave it a fan base, 
And he went away and did some Star Trek and things, but he's back. Yeah, apparently he got direction from an Arby's. I was just reading an article, like, that's where he came up with the whole idea, eating a roast beef sandwich at Arby's <laughs> to bring Han back and how to really conclude this saga. So thanks, Arby's. This movie does taste like Arby's. <laughs> I did see this in theaters. It's the only way to see it. It's the one of the first theaters-only films we're reviewing since the pandemic, and sold-out show pretty much. When I was in, I, of course, pre-bought my tickets, reserved my seats. People coming in, and they're like, well, you can get a ticket, but you're going to be in the first three rows. Yeah, that's what I noticed, too, when I went to buy my tickets. I'm like, are they still social distancing seats? Is that why this is sold out? So I, like, looked a few days ahead. I'm like, oh, no, it's just sold out. It's not because they're cutting off seats. It's because everyone's buying them. I went to a Marcus and they still had some social distancing. They weren't doing behind or in front of you anymore, but you got a seat to your each side. But AMC this weekend, at least in New York City, no social distancing. That's where I went is AMC. So no social distancing in LA either. And you went to an AMC, right, Stuart? Uh, yeah, I think it helps when you're in a small town. Like, yeah, it was crowded, but it's small town crowded. So that meant like probably 60 or 70% capacity. I had no one around me. I had a very excited audience. Some of them were in matching Fast and Furious t-shirts that said, we're family. They were custom-made shirts. These were not obviously bought. It's like somebody had cafe-pressed a bad design. But I kind of smirked as like seven people walked in all wearing the same family shirts. One with a jacket clearly embarrassed to be there. This is the kind of movie you can really cosplay to. I feel like it's anti-geek. Well, I feel like there's some movies you geek out to and then this one's just, it's not geeky. Whatever it is, it's not meant for that kind of fandom. Well, the audience was lively and rowdy and talkative and excited. Maybe this was their first time out of the house in 18 months, but they were really happy for F9. It's fulfilled a lot of what we requested. I did not go back and rewatch. I don't think I will ever go back and rewatch any of the movies. But I did go back and listen to all the old reviews to get a sense of the plot a little bit. Also, just to remember where I was at, where you guys were at. And we were all a little flustered with Fate of the Furious. We were all saying, we want Justin Lin back. We want a new screenwriter. And more than once, we mentioned Cars in Space. So I feel like this movie has got everything we need. <laughs> they listened to us and went, this is what we must do. Get Justin on the phone. And hey, they want cars in space. We can do that. They even got a board game because, you know, I got a sweet spot for like tabletop stuff. And believe it or not, you can buy. I haven't yet. Probably never will. The Fast and Furious board game, the board is just like a highway, and you, you're standing on a top of cars, of course, right? You're Roman, you're Dom, whoever, and you got different missions. I don't know if any of them are stealing VCRs, but you're hijacking various semis that are going down freeways all over the world. I guess that's kind of funny. Again, they're trying to hit all bases because, yeah, it's worth pointing out, you pointed it out last podcast, this franchise is one of the biggest in the world. It reaches all demographics. It is not just for car nuts anymore. And so, yeah, I guess it is for geeks. I guess it is for people that play board games. I guess it's for all types, old, young. It does have that kind of chronology and I guess mythology now that geeks love. Like, I didn't watch any of those old movies, didn't listen to the old podcast. I did watch some YouTube videos covering the chronology because I forgot how, like, this is Saw-level, like, just retconning and 
I don't know. We're in the era of flip phones now with these films because the three comes so much later. And, and so they had flip phones in that one. So I guess we're stuck with that tech now. But no, no, they moved three. So that part three takes place in like 2012 or something. Well, there's some people using flip phones in that. It's very strange. Tokyo, they're retro. Mm, they're <laughs> more technologically advanced. They're actually way ahead of us right now. Well. I did go back. I rewatched the entire Fast Saga leading up to this, and if I can say, remembering our old reviews, which I did not re-listen to, I may have been a little bit harsh on 4, which does have some really good car chases, and yeah, a really stupid plot, but some really good car chases, and I might have been a little bit kind to Part 7 because of the whole Paul Walker emotional kind of welling up in theaters thing. F7 is kind of bloated and long. We weren't that excited about it. Putting all of the Paul Walker is dead eulogizing, we were all kind of like, meh. It got mild. Okay, good, because that's where I'd put it now. And four, I still wouldn't recommend it, but man, it's got some good car stunts. But there was nothing to get me more excited for a new Fast and Furious movie than reliving the entire saga. I'm the fan of this franchise on these recordings, and I certainly felt it while rewatching those movies. Just checking in, are you still the fan of this? And no crime if you're not. But oftentimes, you can get into something, and not just you, Arnie, but anybody can be really excited about something that speaks to them, and then 20 years later, you're like, yeah, yeah, I don't really care. You still care about this series. I do, and... I still remember the pure thrills I felt with parts 1, 3, and 5 especially. You know, just walking out of the theater after 1 and after 5, just feeling so excited and so happy and exhilarated by the movies I'd seen. I love this family. I'm so excited about Han being back. He's always been one of my favorite things. I'm wondering if that was contractual. Justin Lin will not work without... Soon Kang, I mean, he's the one who kept bringing Han back, even though he was dead. He did talk about while eating that roast beef sandwich, you know, I'm Asian, I got to really promote Asians in film, and uh, that was one of his motivating factors for bringing Han back. Yeah, because there's no other Asians in the world. (laughs) No, but you, Arnie, you specifically brought up Han probably on every show. Like, I can't think of anything that would be more pleasing to you. Like, you were so mad at Statham. Like, you can let that go now. Kind of. I mean, Statham still tried to kill him. Rewatching it again, in real quick succession, seeing Han killed at part six and seeing Han's funeral in part seven, and then seeing them all raise a corona with Jason Statham in part eight, I'm like, what the f***? I mean, they forgive villains quickly here. Oh, no quicker than this film, as we'll talk about. Oh, no. I can't believe this film. But unless you're Braga or Owen Shaw, you are absolutely forgiven for all your crimes. Yeah, it's the fun of this series that... Arnie, you mentioned this as a metaphor one time. You know, you can be mad at somebody, you get into a fight and beat each other up, and then you're best friends. That happens in this movie all the time. (laughs) Every villain is just the next best friend. Within matters of minutes sometimes, as this film will show us. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? Here's the thing. I've never been a fan of this. I've always been... Yeah, that is sighing as I think about even diving into it. I was not excited to return to this, but hearing that there was an end in sight, and I guess I heard something different, Arnie. I heard the next film was the last one, so you're actually 
torpedoed a little bit of my hope. My feeling going into this movie was they recognize it's time to bring it to a close. And this is the beginning of that. That allowed me to be more patient with the bloat and the excesses. And coming back, I was wondering, you know, they lost The Rock. The Rock called Vin Diesel a candy ass, and they wouldn't appear on set together. So rewatching Part 8, it's all fun to see how the editing tricks and the stand-ins worked. But without The Rock, they brought in the next up-and-coming movie star wrestler, John Cena. And when I saw the trailer for this, I laughed out loud because... I don't know how many people have seen Bowfinger. It is in our underrated movies book for a reason. It is an underrated movie. But at the very end of that, there's this trailer for a kung fu film with Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy. And they meet in the middle of the trailer and they're like, it's been a long time. Yes, it has. Brother. And that's exactly what they did here. Is literally in the trailer. John Cena says, it's been a long time, Dom. And... I swear to God, Vin Diesel goes, yes, it has, brother. (laughs) Oh my God, they are an unintentional parody of themselves at this point. Let's really look at that, because obviously that's incredibly stupid. And red light right away, (laughs) right? No way that we can recommend so stupid. But some movies and some franchises, and this is one of them, traffics in outrage. The more ridiculous, the more over the top, the more tanks on the road, as it were. Cars in space. You should like it more. Yeah, exactly. No, no, no. One roast beef sandwich, it might be fine. I don't know, want five or six or seven. Like, yes, there is a line that these films ride and, and they succeed or fail, in my opinion, depending on how they ride that line. As ridiculous, as much leeway as I may give them fighting tanks or subs or airplanes, whatever, there is a line. I'm curious to hear you define it because I feel like of the three of us, Jacob, you're the one that wants to have UFOs. You know, you're the one that wants to have zombies and, you know, as crazy as it can get would be what you would want. You know, they have been discussing the Fast and Furious Jurassic Park crossover. And I think it happened in my movie theater. I don't know if you guys saw the IMAX screening. There were a lot of people confused when this movie started. We thought we were already done with the trailers. And then they had the one for the new Jurassic World 3. And it took, I could hear people. They're like, is this Fast and the Furious? And there's brontosauruses on the screen. I'm like, come on. You know Diesel is the only dinosaur that's going to be on screen. I did not see the IMAX. I did not see that trailer, but that's funny. Yeah, it's they rather than show a traditional trailer, I think they showed you maybe the first five minutes of the movie or just, you know, long stretches of the movie unnarrated without musical stings and what have you. And so it did feel like, oh, for a half a second, I'm like, oh, they're starting in... What? Hmm? You know, like, it takes a beat, and then, like, you know, as soon as you see a brontosaurus, you're like, okay, no. But I'm telling you, minutes later, people were still like, is this Fast and the Furious? And that's a testament to how crazy this saga could be, that fans sitting there would be like, okay, we're going back in time to the Jurassic Age. A, since this one goes to space, I don't know where the next one could go but time travel. B, I wouldn't put it past this film to show me a brontosaurus, show me it keeling over dead, and then time lapse as it turns into gasoline being pumped into Vin Diesel's car. (laughs) That's kind of artsy. I don't know if, you know. (laughs) Anyway, my point is that A, kind of amused me about the audience and how into they were. They were ready for a movie experience. I think you're right. Despite that many people, this might have been the first one they've had in a year, 
but also just the, how accepting we are of this saga now and whatever crazy-ass shit it wants to do. <laughs> I would be curious to find out from all of us where the line is at this point, what we will accept and what we want as we head towards, you're telling me, an ending in three movies. I can state right now, I have no line. They can do whatever they want, so long as it's fun. Fun, yes. So they could Tarzan swing a car, you're cool with that. I can't wait to get to that part. Is this movie any crazier than anything they've done before? And if it isn't, have they failed? Like, isn't that the point? So, again, I'm going into this not thinking I will like it, never thinking I will like it, but wondering, A, what they could do that's new, and yes, is there a way of going too far? Is it can they offend the fan of this series with bad taste? Arnie, give them the plot. Let's find out. Dominic Toretto, played by Vin Diesel, is all about family. That's why now that he's a father to young Brian, he and his wife Letty, played by Michelle Rodriguez, are retired and off the grid. But action comes calling when their mission commander, Mr. Nobody, played by Kurt Russell, goes missing. And I mean it. Kurt Russell is missing in this movie. I do not know what happened to him. Yeah, they don't find him, right? I thought this was about finding him. That is the craziest part of this. Like, that was what I stood up and screamed at the end of this movie. Where is Kurt Russell? <laughs> he ain't a nobody in this film. Like, literally. They started out trying to find Kurt Russell. They never found Kurt Russell. They don't even bring him up. No, it, it's, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Dom's team members, Tej, played by Ludacris, Roman, Tyrese Gibson, and hacker Ramsey, Nathalie Emmanuel, come to recruit Dom and Letty to find Mr. Nobody. And they find Nobody's downed airplane in Central America, but Nobody is missing, as is Cypher, the villain of the last movie played by Charlie's Theron, who Nobody had on his plane. But they do find half of an orb, and that orb is our MacGuffin for the movie called the Ares Device. If someone gets both halves of the orb and the activation key, they can control all technology on the planet. During a chase, Dom loses half of the orb to his brother Jacob, spelled the correct way with a K, and played by John Cena. Dom and Jacob fell out after the death of their father on a racetrack in 1989. Dom blamed Jacob for a fuel line issue that caused the senior Toretto's death, leading to a rift. Jacob left town and turned into a spy, then a super criminal, now with dreams of world domination. With Jacob in the mix comes Dom's sister Mia, played by Jordana Brewster, having left husband Brian at home to watch all the children in heaven, I suppose. Mia and Letty go to Tokyo where they discover Han is alive. Because, alright, here's where it's really convoluted, if it hasn't been so far. I was about to say it never left that area, but it gets more tangled. Mr. Nobody is the one who hired Jacob to be a spy. Jacob was assigned to protect the orb. Jacob decided to go rogue and steal the orb. So nobody approached Han, knowing Han had worked with Dominic. So nobody faked Han's death. And now, presumed dead, Han protected the orb and the key. The key, which activates the orb is a DNA strand from the daughter of the designers of the orb. So Han and Ellie had been living undercover, still in Tokyo, they were undercover, but now that the orb is in play, Han returns to the States and reunites with his family. Meanwhile, Jacob gets the other half of the orb, and Jacob's troops capture Ellie and almost kill Dom. Jacob is ready to take over the world, so Dom's team have to stop him in a two-pronged attack. On Earth, 
the drivers must get the orb and rescue Ellie, while Roman and Tej go to space to destroy a satellite. And they go to space at a Pontiac Fiero turned rocket designed by Tokyo Drift crew Sean Boswell, played by Lucas Black, Twinkie, played by Bow Wow, and Earl Who, who? Played by Jason Tobin. Even I, who watched the entire saga, didn't remember Earl Who. I didn't even remember them being in other ones. I was shocked. I'm like, why isn't Sean getting a bigger introduction? Oh, he was an old one, I guess. Besides three. He was like in seven or something or eight. Did not remember that. Yeah, he was in seven because of Han's death. Roman and Tej sacrifice their lives to ram into the satellite, only to survive and be saved by the International Space Station. While on Earth, a road chase almost stops Jacob, but then Jacob is betrayed by Cypher. Cypher had been Jacob's prisoner, but convinced Jacob's henchmen that she should be the one in charge. So ousted from his own criminal organization, Jacob teams up with Dom to stop the bad guys, flipping over their mobile HQ and retrieving the orb. Jacob gives Dom the orb, and Dom gives Jacob the keys to their father's Dodge Charger, so this super criminal who's terrorized the Earth can escape the authorities. And Cypher escapes too. But the orb is retrieved, and Han is back as part of the family. So they gather again in L.A. Dom's having his house rebuilt, no longer wanting to live in hiding, and they all raise a corona as credits roll. As Brian pulls up. <laughs> we'll talk about Brian. Oh my gosh. They want to get everyone in here. Maybe that is the wrong impulse for telling a story. But when you're wrapping things up and giving a curtain call, the thought is, how many characters from the past can we drag out for a useless cameo? <laughs> I don't know if you want to drag out Paul Walker at this point. There were rumors, okay? I knew Jordana Brewster was back for this. And while doing the rewatch, it ate at me. I had to get spoiled. I'm like, if they're bringing back Mia, how are they handling the Paul Walker situation? He's just babysitting. <laughs> it cracked up. I didn't know if they'd say he died off screen. Maybe this whole thing would be a revenge mission to avenge Brian. What I'd read was... There were three scenes that were going to have CGI Brian, and they worked with Walker's family and decided to do three scenes, and then they'd cut it back to one scene, and we were just going to see Brian getting out of the car at the very end, and then when I see the movie, there's no scenes, so I don't know what happened, and maybe what I read was incorrect, because it was spoilers on a spoiler website, and those aren't always right. But I firmly believe that they may have intended to have us see a CGI Paul Walker again when that car pulled up. Do they need to do CGI? Couldn't they just get James Marsden? I wouldn't even notice the difference. <laughs> Dye his hair blonde. I mean, he is already kind of blonde. Like, I feel like there's a lot of actors with a generic look and Paul Walker was one of them. So you could recast it if you really need to have it happen. I firmly, firmly thought when Paul Walker died in Seven that the solution was to go back to Tokyo Drift and bring Louis Black in as the new Brian. Seeing Louis Black in this film, I'm like, I see why they didn't do that. <laughs> yes, I agreed. And then I was excited that Bow Wow was in this, and then I believe that they did recast him. <laughs> I'm watching that whole scene like, is that Bow Wow? <laughs> but then in the opening, I'm like, 
Is that a CGI Vin Diesel as we jump back to 1989? I was wondering the same thing too. Did they de-age Vin and John Cena for these early flashback scenes? Which, they don't tell you it's 1989 right away. You just see a guy driving on a speedway with Toretto on his helmet. I'm like, oh, oh, this is a huge change. Dom's no longer living his life a quarter mile at a time because he's speedway. Like, it's miles at a time. Like, Daytona 500, that's 500 miles at a time. I'm like, wow, this is a huge change. No longer quarter... Oh, okay, it's a flashback. Never mind. Is Dom's dad racing the Dodge Charger? No. Okay. No, no, no they, these are, look like NASCAR cars to me. These look like Indy 500. It was stock car races, and so I just wasn't sure because he talks about how he's always been scared to drive his dad's Dodge Charger. I did go back and re-watch that big scene talking about the dad from part one after seeing this to see how closely it ties in. So this has been mentioned, his dad's death before. Yeah, it was the big emotional scene of part one. Yes, mockable. Because in part one, we're told Dom had gone to prison for beating a guy up with a wrench. I remember that, yeah. And so there's this emotional scene where he's bonding with Brian and introduces Brian to this Dodge Charger that he and his dad built. And his dad had driven it. It had so much torque. It bent in half the first time he drove it. And Brian's like, why haven't you driven it? He's like, it scares the fuck out of me. And then he talks about how his father died. And I had to go back. I wanted to see, does this match? Because I thought this was going to be a retcon from hell. But no, what he says is his dad was coming up in the pro stock car circuit and a guy named Kenny Linder came up and clipped his bumper, put him into the wall at 120 and Dom watched his dad burn to death. The tanks blew and he saw the driver a week later and just kept hitting him and hitting him with a wrench. He didn't even intend to. He just hit him so hard. And then now the guy... He has to take a bus to work every day, and he's a janitor at a high school, and Dom was banned from the tracks for life. And that's why he lives his life a quarter mile at a time now. That was his whole backstory that makes Dom sympathetic in that first movie, theoretically. And so here, we're going to see that play out in flashbacks. This is the first time, I think, Fast and Furious has really dabbled in flashbacks beyond retconning Letty's death or something. And it dabbles a lot. Like, I feel uh, this is over two hours. It could be way under that if you got rid of a lot of these needless flashbacks. They found their family theme, and they're never going to let that go. Now that Dom is a father himself, it makes sense to compare and contrast, right? Like, this is a new role. My only frame of reference is the pacifier. I'm like, you know, Vin Diesel holding diapers says different movie to me. So how is this going to look? Having Dom's relationship with his dad and hey, having Dom have hair, like already drop the mic, right? This is amazing. <laughs> we have young Dom with hair. It is a different actor in case you thought it was de-aging. Yes. Vinny Bennett is somebody out there on earth. He's not a CGI creation. But he's amazing. <laughs> I mean, if we wanted to do a Pitch Black prequel, a Riddick prequel, you have found your person. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to see more of Vin down on the farm, though. Like, it's hilarious to me when we jump to his life now 
it's going to take him a while, but Letty's going to finally be like, this is not us. No shit. <laughs> I mean, are you kidding? She comes out in bib overalls and they're fixing a tractor. Oh, this is hilarious. Takes them a while. It takes them about five minutes once they get this footage. Like, there is, yeah, no hesitancy, at least for Letty. You know, once they find out that Mr. Nobody's in trouble, like, she's like, all right, uh, you and little B, see you later. It could have been anything, right? That's when you know how unhappy she was. It could have been like, yeah, there's a corn husk festival down the street. Yep, go on, (laughs) got to see it. Can't wait. Yeah, couldn't Vin have just said once I live my life quarter acre at a time? <laughs> but yeah, now that he's a father, having been a super spy, he thinks he has to live like this. And I swear I thought I was rewatching Rogue One. Remember in Rogue One where the father has Jen Urso hide in that bunker as the evil Imperials come down and Jin escapes because she was hiding? I'm like, here's little Brian being told to hide underground as this strange car rolls up. But no, it's my favorite characters in the movie. Tyrese Gibson, Tej, Roman, and Ramsey, who I'm I'm just going to fanship right now that they are living together in a polyamorous relationship and they are a trio because at the end of the last movie, they were both hitting on Ramsey. Ramsey said she likes them both. Haven't they been doing that every since she's shown up in part seven? Yes. She asked them, though, what's my last name? It's a trick question. Her last name's Ramsey. But... <laughs> Now they're always together, and I just have to believe they are just living in polyamory as happy as can be. Okay, I get it. You're the fan. You got fan fiction. Yeah, Ramsey is always everyone's least favorite character, right? The one that you like, until you're watching the movie, you're like, all right, there's someone like this. and It's the other techie. We already had a tech person. Yeah, the other techie. But this will be the movie to finally give her a moment. She can at least finally have a scene that I'll always associate with her when we get to Scotland. But right now, they're trying to get to a fictional country in South America because I guess they don't want to offend any Central American powers that be by saying you have crazy dictators that will shoot anyone that's searching for plane wreckage. Their good old buddy, Kurt Russell, Mr. Nobody, barely factored into this movie, is in trouble. Maybe it's not to rescue him so much, because clearly when they get there, nobody's looking for his body. It's the fact that he captured Cypher, Charlize Theron, and that she is... A spooky figure in their life because she killed the mother of this little bee. Little Brian's real mom, we may forget, is not Letty, but you know, you gotta follow that family tree. There was the Elena, yeah, from a couple movies ago where she mattered. Elena. Yes, they hooked up in part five, and then part six was all about him leaving her because Letty's back. Yeah, I thought she got together with The Rock or something. They cheesed that. They did do that for a little bit. She's dead, though. She was assassinated. Yes, I remember that. Her role in Part 8 is so sad to rewatch. She was, like, on set for one day and shot in the head. But again, isn't that what we've gotten to? Isn't that everyone's role in this movie where now we're we're only going to give you 90 seconds? Like, we just don't have the room because the family got too big. And so you have to remember all of this tangled web of, like, oh, right, Little B's real mom got killed by Cypher, so they've got to go get revenge on her. Yeah, I was hoping they're going to shoot more people in the head because they just keep adding on to this family. I couldn't believe it. Like, I'm like, I'm not going to track this many characters. I'm sorry. Too many. 
not only don't they give characters enough time, but they've elongated the runtime to try to accommodate the characters. This is a two and a half hour movie. So we're going to get our little Roman and Tej sub stories and things. I'm, I'm thinking that if they were still alive today, James Doohan and I think Nichelle Nichols is still alive, just not in her right mind. But if they were seeing this, they'd be like, why didn't we get this kind of screen time as background characters in those Trek movies? Because here they're going to give something to everyone. To a fault. To a lack of coherence. To the bloat of this movie. We think it's hilarious to bring everyone back and give them a little bit. And it certainly would have helped me to streamline this. But this is the long-winded way that we're even going to get started towards the plot is the fact that we've got to go to South America and Dom doesn't want to go because he's a father and Letty wants to go because she hates this farm and maybe Vin Diesel. <laughs> but Dom, he's got to zoom and enhance. Zoom and enhance. Ah, uh, there's, remember that cross he's always wearing? There's one just like that in that Mr. Nobody video. Except that's not the cross he's always wearing, is it? Because there's two crosses in this movie. It looked the same to me. I mean, crucifixes tend to look similar. I mean, (laughs) they got a a certain (laughs) style. Well, there's the cross he's always wearing, which is his father's cross and his sister's cross. And we saw young Jacob with that same cross, too, in those flashback scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Later on in the film. Yeah. Not yet. But yes, we will eventually establish we will establish that they have, it was really kind of hilarious, matching like white shirt and crucifix. <laughs> but of course, like Vin's taller. They got to make him a height challenged. Then in this case, when he's enhancing that cross, what he's seeing is a cross from Mexico that's on a postcard that Han sent him. That's a separate cross, though. I didn't think the two were related. No. You're confusing. Yeah, no. In the video itself is someone standing behind Kurt Russell that grabs him that is wearing a crucifix. Oh, I thought this was a coded message. But he is also holding on to this postcard, which we've never seen before, but he has had for a while, ever since Han died, that is a postcard from the Mexican church where he, in part four, had his whole... You know, I'm almost dead. I don't know why that church is so important to him, but it signifies coming back from the dead, I think. You understand why I was confused, because he zooms in on the video and immediately pulls the postcard out of the drawer. So I thought whatever he saw in that video sparked a memory of that postcard. Arnie, I understand why anyone would be confused (laughs) watching this movie. I don't even think the screenwriter knows what's going on. And it's a new one. I just want to point out, you said we need to get rid of the old guy that had written the last seven of them. We have Daniel Casey here, known for a recent sci-fi oddity called Kin, K-I-N, if you've seen that one. Can I correct myself and beg Chris Morgan, please come back? I was wrong. Yeah, it's weird. And look, I didn't go back and watch the old ones, so maybe it applies to those as well. But I always felt like even though these are all race car drivers that are also super spies, you get these little moments before they go on their missions. Okay, we need uh, a Dodge Charger and we need this kind of car. Now they just show up in South America. Like they got tanks or or whatever these armored cars are. They're driving motorcycles. It's just like, it, it feels like a cartoon at this point. Like this is the cartoon version of the Fast and the Furious where everyone has their own special vehicle and superpower. And it, it's just what's expected now. Is that a problem? This is the one where it felt noticeably different, where it's like, let's not even pretend they're race car drivers anymore. Let's just say they're super soldiers now. Yeah. Yeah, it does. reminds me of cartoons from the 80s where like, yes, no matter where in the world, I'm driving my Dodge Charger. 
Yeah, make these vehicles transform, and we could call this Mask the Movie, if you remember that old cartoon. I do. I'd actually prefer Fast and Furious to cross over with Transformers than Jurassic Park. I think that makes more sense. Yeah, that would make sense. But again, is this a problem for you? I think if you have the 80s cartoon mentality, then this is great. This is hilarious. Mm, I've gone back and tried to watch some of those 80s cartoons, and they do not hold up. So I don't have that mentality anymore because I'm uh, in my 40s now. I have no problem that they just show up in these cars. I've seen enough of the let's pick our car stuff that when I see Roman rolling in in a tank and he's like, ha ha, who picked the right car now? I know how that scene went. I can put it together in my mind. What I want to know is who's the army attacking them? This is why it has to be Montequinto instead of Ecuador, because, like, we will kill you if you even come here. Like, we have patrols to just straight up murder you if you walk into the jungle. Well, I mean, if foreign people come in with armored vehicles, I would hope the American military would take notice of that and intercept them and try to find out what they're doing. Yeah, God forbid a bunch of Canadians come with one tank. (laughs) Canadians are smart enough to know not to come here. I will just say this. I think this might be Thailand. I looked at locations where they shot and it reminded me a lot of Thailand. It's a really beautiful backdrop. CGI enhanced, I'm sure, but they went somewhere. For whatever stupid reason that they're here, what a great place to start our first real car chase. We haven't had that yet. This will be the kickoff, and it gets me into the spirit. Well, yeah, first they got to go and see that Mr. Nobody's there, but they find, I wrote down Magic 8-Ball. That's what it looked like to me. They're going to give it a name, but at one point they're just like, the device. I'm like, okay, let's just keep it real generic, because you got no story (laughs) here. Just the device. Just call it the MacGuffin at this point. Geometric beanie is what I kept, <laughs> I had in my notes. I literally thought it was a meteorite, though, because it, like, glowed green on the inside and looked around. I'm like, we have aliens. Why not? We're going to space. Now, admittedly, this is all a trap, right? This has all been left. Is it? Let's walk this through. And I know we don't get rewarded for <laughs> picking things apart, but, like, so... Mr. Nobody crashed with with John Cena's character. We don't know that yet, but the crucifix-wearing character grabbing him, and this device is still in this safe box in the bottom of the plane. Don't tell me John Cena doesn't have a can opener. He could have gotten into that and taken it, but he intentionally broadcast this signal to lead his brother and his peeps into some kind of trap. Well, wasn't Cypher on the plane, too? Like, this was also to bust her out for reasons. Look, I don't understand these bad guys at all. They're never explained. But yeah, Jacob, he just can't find the Magic 8-Ball. Like, he really had to lure them there because they would be able, Ramsey would be able to see a a second encoded message and know that there's some device they're they're supposed to look for. That's what you think it, it was about? Only the team could get in there? Only Ramsey was capable of doing that? Like, they just open a door and get it. It seemed easy. Here's how I take it. I take it far more face value. Nobody is being attacked by Jacob, John Cena. And nobody was transporting Cypher because this is shortly after the last movie where they captured Cypher. A, I want to call out to Fast and Furious as one of the few action franchises that does not kill its villain at the end of every movie, almost to a fault as these villains keep coming back. And becoming best friends. I I mean, when you eat at Arby's, these are the ideas you come with. You know not to kill these villains because, damn, this roast beef sandwich is so good, you just got an idea how they're going to play out in in three more films. But there's only been enough time between Fate of the Furious and now, I guess it's been a couple years because they had time for little Brian to grow up. Yeah, little B was a baby last time, right? 
yeah, he was newborn. Now he's talking and he's, you know, probably preschool age, but they're still flying around with Cypher on a plane. She's gotten a crew cut or something. She's gotten this this really short haircut. But that's when Jacob attacks, downs the plane. Ramsey looks at the safe and says they tried to cut into the safe, and but you can't cut into the safe. Fortunately, I'm a super hacker who could get in. And yes, Cypher was on the plane, but Cypher isn't working with them, and they kept Cypher as a prisoner, so Cypher isn't going to hack into there and help them. So literally, they can't get in, and nobody sent that distress call. I think if it was to lure him there, there would have been something more obvious than a cross in the background. I think that they just went down there, and Jacob got lucky that he was able to get the orb in this first action sequence. I thought maybe Mr. Nobody was going to turn out to be a heel in this one. Like, why do you... There's a reason that the president and the vice president don't fly in the same plane. You don't put a super hacker like Cypher, even if she's a prisoner, and a magical device that could control all technology on the same plane. You separate that stuff. You, you, you don't let them mix. So I am like, I don't know. Maybe Mr. Nobody's behind all this. That's why he, they're not looking for him. That's why he's not showing up at all. I have a really bad thing that I'm almost convinced of. In F11, it was Dom's father. All along. <laughs> I mean, yes, that is the kind of twist that they do love surprising people with. And again, the more outrageous and, and impractical and illogical, uh, the better. <laughs> Seems to be the method. I thought Kurt Russell was going to be in the safe box. When they open, they go into the debris and open it up, I thought he'd be in there and have a whole little spiel. But it is kind of amazing. They started off, I thought, coming to his rescue, and then nobody will ever look for him again. I don't know if he died in this crash. <laughs> I don't know if he became a prisoner. Maybe he's met a you know, local and is off you know, <laughs> living in the jungle. Who knows? Not only do they never look for him again, they never mention him again. Oh, no, he shows up on videos throughout the whole movie. No, no, no. You're talking about his work in the past. He will not be a part of the ongoing plot from this point forward. Right. They don't seem concerned about finding him at all. Yeah, it's so bizarre. And uh, again, there's only two credited screenwriters, Justin Lin and this new guy. It feels like the work of 30, though, right? It feels like <laughs> I'll write a page and then hand it off to you and then you keep going and we'll see what we got at the end. But they're thinking three movies ahead. So while I wish that they had mentioned nobody a couple of times more. Also, they don't even know his name. He's literally a nobody. So I guess they can't feel too attached, even if he was hanging out at the family dinner at the end of the last film. I will say that when we get these jungle buggies from the, you know, whoever these commandos are riding in and flipping and Letty is again doing that trick where landing on the hood of a car is a is like a cushion. She's flying 50 feet in the air and it's like, oh, good, I'm going to land on top of the speeding car and be fine. Yeah, I couldn't believe they did that again from part six. Oh, no, no. If you jump out of a six story window and hit the street, you're dead. But hit a car? You just get up and you're That's fine. It's yeah, doesn't, doesn't The Rock like land in a car after falling 20 stories in one of those films after fighting Jason Statham? Cars are like, hey, very soft. Uh, yeah. I should sleep on top of my car instead of my mattress. This whole movie has got to be, I got to get my car under them so they're safe. It's hysterical. I can't believe that. You know what? There's one line in this movie that just sticks in my craw. Late in the movie. Ludicrous who should just be the title of this movie, Ludicrous. Ludicrous says, it's going to be fine so long as we follow the laws of physics. 
really? This whole movie didn't follow the laws of physics. Yeah, I wrote that down, <laughs> underlined it 75 times. Such a bullshit line. Again, don't you feel like they're razzing you? Like, uh, that feels like I'm being hazed. Like, ha, ha, ha. Right, we're following science. Like, I want to point out something. This is just like the car chases in part six. Jacob, you called part six the best of the franchise. So what's changed? Them or you? Oh, no, I don't have a problem with this opening car chase. Here's the thing. And and again, Arnie, you watched them also. Correct me if I'm wrong. But before we get to the car chase, we get a full-on shootout with, like, Roman. Like, again, these are car racers. And I'm cool with them doing super spy stuff with cars. But now that they're just full-on Arnold Schwarzenegger action heroes shooting out stuff, like, have we seen a full-on shootout with, with these characters like this before we get into the car chase? Because that's what feels off to me is I'm cool if you're in a car shooting at people in this franchise, but if you're just running around like you're uh, Rambo, now I got a problem. That is my line. As arbitrary or weird as that line may be, that is my line for this franchise. Do stuff in your cars. You're touching on my favorite part of this movie and my least favorite part of this movie at once, Jacob. First of all, we see Roman and he's in that tank he chose to drive, right? And then when we cut away, we cut back, he's out of that car and he's in a firefight and he's ends up shooting 30 guys with a found machine gun and he's perfectly fine. And then we cut away and when we cut back, he's back in the car. I feel several times, and this is specifically with the Roman Tej Ramsey stuff in this movie, that they're like, we don't know where to put this in the edit. Let's pop it here because we don't know where else it would go logically. And here, I don't know why he left the car. I don't know why he's back in the car. No, we do. They they left the car to explore the plane wreckage. But other everybody else had gotten back in the car but him. Well, I want to point that out. Family left his ass behind. Yep. Family <laughs> said, we out of here. The commandos are back. I'll talk about it a couple other Roman Tej scenes. But there are times where I'm just like, why are they where? But here... I do like the fact that Roman is, like, aware they're in a movie now. <laughs> like, we're invincible. Stuart, you're saying, oh, they're poking fun at this. You could do tongue-in-cheek. I don't know if they get it right, though. It, it, at least it doesn't work for me. It feels like, oh, yeah, we've heard people say this, but they don't lean into it in a way. Like, they try to make it a touching moment later, like... It, it, we weren't invis- invincible. We were just lucky as they're like, maybe going to die in space or something like they don't want to accept how ridiculous this is. They know other people know it's ridiculous, but I don't feel like they want to really accept that. Oh, I think they do. And I don't want Hobbs and Shaw too. I don't want fast 10 year seatbelts. <laughs> what I want is Roman Tej and Ramsey spinoff. Just give me that. That is the greatest part of this is Roman going like, we blown up planes. We did a really long runway. I don't even want to talk about the submarine. Yeah, none of us want to talk about the sub. Of course, he's happily forgetting how many people have died. Where's Giselle? Here's Elena. Coming back. I mean, again, like, you <laughs> say they're dead. I don't believe it. I'm going to chime in and agree with this. I've never liked Roman in any movie previously. You'll never hear me give him a compliment. This is his best film. This is his best stuff. His existential crisis. He's basically in an M. Night movie. It's unbreakable. (laughs) And he's like, oh, my God, I'm a superhero. Oh, my God. I really thought because, look, they're probably never going to go back to Hobbs and Shaw. But I'm like, oh, are we going to find out that, like, all these people are Idris Elba's? They just don't know it yet. Like, Mr. (laughs) Maybe Mr. Nobody gave him some pill and, like, they're just all invincible now. Is that where this franchise is really going to go? Actually, Hobbs and Shaw 2 is in production. 
And second, the other thing I love about Tyrese in this one is there's a line in part two where they're approaching that gangster. And I know this line so well because I used it in our end credits for the donation line. He's like, your pockets are full. I'm hungry. Now, that's all he says is like, I got candy bars. I'm hungry. Every other line, he's hungry. I'm like, he turned that into his tagline. He's eating all the time. I'm like, this is... Tyrese, you win the movie. You really do. Well, I don't know that it's great that he's one-dimensional. Yes, unfortunately, he just turns into an eating machine. But I do feel like in this particular moment, in the jungle scenes, happens three times. Yeah, first... For half a second, when he's surrounded by those guys, I do think like, oh, he could be killed here. But of course they won't. But like, this feels very dangerous for him. And then somehow he gets a gun and fires back on everyone. Then later he, he has a fun little stunt where he, he's wedged above a landmine and his truck is like slipping down. He has to slide out of the windshield and not land on the bomb. Survives that even when the vehicle goes flying and, and almost crushes him. I love that. Tej and Ramsey just like stand there like, we don't know what to do, but watch. Yeah. <laughs> and then Ramsey's like, I found our way out of this. The, the, you know, the borders across this bridge. They get to the bridge. It's straight out of Temple of Doom. It's like a, you know, like a wood walking bridge. And we're still like, like an enemy vehicle is like flipping and knocking it like out of commission as they start across it. They still manage to get to the other side. And th again, this is my line. Like it reminded me of that scene from Hobbit 3 when Legolos is like running up those falling stones. If you even remember that one during the final three hour battle. But do cool car racing stuff. I love when they're just driving through the minefield. Like, this is all practical. They're really blowing stuff up. It's fun. For some reason, you have to go 80 miles an hour to not get hurt by a mine. Sure, why not? I'll buy it as long as you're in a Dodge Charger or whatever. But yeah, when you're going to race up a bridge that's falling, Tej, don't tell me you believe in physics. You don't. I don't like this. I'm torn because, yes, I agree with you. The moment that rope cuts, the weight of the car is going to take you down. There's, I don't care how fast you're going. I don't care. Unless it's the speed of light, you're not making it. And when Dom comes along and sees the bridge is gone and somehow wraps a wire around his axle. Hate it. Hate it. I Honestly, because they're in a jungle, I thought he was going to honk the horn and his horn honk would be, ah, and the Tarzan thing as the car swings. Yeah, I wrote down the Tarzan swing with the car. But I don't hate it. Because it's so silly. My audience is laughing and not derisively. They're having fun. And it makes me wonder, has the Fast and Furious turned into the Naked Gun series where it is a slapstick comedy that plays it straight? No, wake up call, guys. It always has been. You just didn't realize it. This is what I've been telling you podcast after podcast. This movie is a joke. And you're like, no, it's cool. It's adrenaline. It's it is camp. And the fact that you're hating the ridiculousness of it after recommending, I thought, what the most ridiculous one, Jacob, I'm surprised. Is, is it that you've soured? Have you gotten too old for it? Because I think that's an acceptable response. I think that's an acceptable response. 
I was always too old for it. I never loved these films. And so, yeah, maybe there was some fun finding the fun and the ridiculousness about it. But again, this, you're going to do a Tarzan swing. You got to set that up. Okay. If they would have given me some explanation, there's that thing I could hook onto it with this and blah, blah, blah. Maybe I could have more fun with it. The fact that I'm just going to drive towards this piece of rope and somehow it's going to magically connect to me and I'm going to swing and roll my car and we're going to be fine. The problem that they roll the car 30 times and they're okay isn't the problem. It's the goddamn Tarzan swing. Like, we're just going to drive to a rope and make this happen. And now it's just magic. It is a fine, arbitrary line. I understand that, Stuart. But just a little bit of setup. Look, there's so many motivational problems throughout this film where I just... I can't care about characters because there's no reason for them to be doing the things they do. If they would set things up a little bit, so I'm actually feeling like these are characters that are making things happen instead of like, I don't know, I hope this rope wraps around my axle and swings me to safety. That is my line. Okay. All right. I feel like that thinking has been predominant. Even in five, the one that we call so great was full of ridiculous shit. Just full of stupid parodies of spy movie kind of stuff. And yet they would, that's about setting things up though. You would have those little planning meetings. That goes a long way for me to setting up ridiculousness is just to go, we kind of have a plan. We kind of want it to actually go this way instead of it just going that way. All I'm going to say is I think this chase is as good as any that I've seen before. And I'm totally as into the movie as I'm going to be. I'm right there on the line of it's almost too far, but yet I'm perfectly fine with John Cena jumping off of a, cliff and having an airplane come and catch him with a magnet i mean yeah no i'm totally cool with that again this is my very weird line (laughs) that i'm drawing like that was planned out so i'm cool with that like sure that's what the bad guys do they had a drone ready to get him after he stole the magic eight ball fine i'll move along with that it's very specific little things that just don't seem to be set up or just it's just magic and that's my problem even if it's planned magic i'm cool with it but if it's just magic that happens in this film i don't like it my thing is though i'm distracted from some of the stunts because this is where john cena and vin diesel have their meaningful look as jacob gets the orb as like just this long meaningful stare and because i've seen the trailer i'm like brother versus brother and the emotion of it feels off and how quickly they're going to get to the whole it's my brother thing of course that was set up a little bit in the flashbacks this is bothering me more the conversations after the tarzan swing more than the tarzan swing i can go with ridiculous stunts but you've got to have something Mm. in the personal thing and god help me Mm. I think Paul Walker may have been that heart. Mm. <laughs> Arnie, look at the, you just rewatched them. Look at the movies you've been consuming. They have always been full of hyperbole and melodrama and horse shit. Don't tell me it's off this time. Letty's amnesia? I hated that. And, and yet you accept it. Movie after movie, you say recommend. So you don't hate it enough. Like it can't be ruinous. It's not going to bother you. What is the issue for you, Arnie? Is is it a long-lost brother that never got mentioned before? Surprisingly, they pull that off. Surprisingly, they explain it well enough. And having rewatched all the movies, they never say that, you know, there wasn't another sibling or anything like that. Because, spoiler alert, in Cheers, Frasier says, I'm an only child. And then in the Frasier series, he suddenly has a brother. They never do that in Fast and Furious. I actually go with this long-lost brother thing. 
Is it the acting that you're not buying? What is it exactly then? I I do think it's the acting. <laughs> because look, John Cena, I've seen him in, uh, I think, Daddy's Home 2. And he's barely in it, but he, he was kind of all right in that, I guess. I never saw Blockers. I haven't watched wrestling in 30 plus years. But I did ask my brothers. I got three younger brothers. They are still into wrestling from 40 to 30 years old range. Still into wrestling. I'm like, what's the appeal of John Cena? Because he's awful in this movie. Like, he is so wooden. No charisma. And the consensus I got from talking to my brothers who are really into wrestling, none of them really liked him. They're like, we were too old for him. He appealed more to the younger crowd. He was always a good guy, which I think is an easier role to play. He never turned heel, which you got to have charisma if you're a heel. Like, Rowdy Roddy Piper, what a great heel in wrestling. Like, you love to hate him. And John Cena, I guess, just never was able to pull that off. So, but I guess he could wrestle fine but yeah he he is wooden here and i don't like him and that's my big problem here look vin's not that great and now you got someone even worse than him trying to act against him i thought cena might be the new rock i liked him in daddy's home too i kind of liked him in bumblebee oh i forgot he was in bumblebee <laughs> but i did see playing with fire and thought that that would be his the pacifier it is <laughs> awful <laughs> Isn't he a fireman in that one? Yeah. Isn't Pacifier awful? <laughs> For some reason, I liked the Pacifier. And then this movie, now I'm worried about the Suicide Squad, because he looks like he's going to be really good in the Suicide Squad, and there's a Suicide Squad prequel series all about him. But after this, I'm like, he is a block of wood. He looks chopped from a block of wood. The guy is angular as hell. I don't know if they thought about other people for the Jacob role here with John Cena. I did read though, like guys, Paul Walker spoke from heaven. That's why John Cena's in this movie. I don't, I don't know if you know this, but apparently Vin Diesel, when he's getting ready for these films, he has a special fighting shrine that he goes to work out in. And there's like a Dodge charger there and it's very spiritual. And apparently like Paul Walker spoke from heaven, the clouds parted, a ray of sunshine came down and said, John Cena, that's who you need in the next film. Okay, I read a slightly different interview. I mean, this was in People Magazine. I don't know how reliable it is. When John Cena entered the room, it was a gift from Paul. Oh, is that what it was? So I think they were looking at other people, but Paul Walker blessed them by sending John Cena to them. Because they're always looking for the next Paul Walker. Like, this is some comedy in and of itself. Vin looked upon John Cena and, and saw Paul Walker's face and posed and, and took it as a sign. This is the next villain. Just for the record, since everyone's chiming in on Cena, he's a non-factor for me. I feel like he's better than Sly or Arnold or many of the 80s He-Men. But he isn't quite as charming as The Rock. And I guess I was hoping and thinking, since he was from that generation, he would be that good. And he's... He doesn't have much of a character, really. When we get his story, it feels like it's mostly in the flashback stuff. I laugh my ass off when later on Helen Mirren shows up and tells Vin Diesel, I see the family resemblance. What? <laughs> you see what? No, the only one that has it right is Charlie's Theron. Is like, oh, you have a very Scandinavian chin. Like, just call out that, like, Jack got around. Jack Toretto's got more than one baby mama. Yeah, I mean, again, to me, this feels like being punked like winking like yeah they're identical you'd think they were twins come on like danny devito and arnold schwarzenegger <laughs> these two look alike no i mean again this is what i'm talking about a series that has grown confident after years and years of pulling off some crazy ass shit it's like what can't i get away with you know like that's what i feel like it's like a bratty child that like dares you to to discipline him now that he's in his teen years <laughs> Although, 
when they need to get out of Central America, they bring back Michael Stasiak. And I have to know, do either of you remember Stasiak? I was just going to say, we're supposed to know this guy. I remember that he was around. Is there a reason why he's got the broken nose? Yes, in part four, he was on the FBI squad with Brian, and Brian punches him in the nose and breaks it. And it's still broken. In part six, he shows back up to help Brian go undercover and interrogate Braga in prison, and to sell it, Brian punches him and breaks his nose again. So all these people are landing on cars and getting shot, and they're fine, but poor Shay Wingham here has a fucked up nose because Brian punched him twice. I do not know how or why they keep bringing Shay Wingham back for one moment in each of these movies, but here he is again. It makes me smile. That, that You've answered your own question. They bring it back to make you smile. It's a punchline. It's a joke. It's a ribbing, and it sounds like it's working for you. I'm just surprised nobody punched him in the nose this movie. Maybe they leave that only for Brian to do. Little B will have to do it in a, in part 11. <laughs> that would be hysterical as if he was holding little Brian and little Brian smacked his nose. It's going to happen. I mean, now that you've said it, how can it not? Hey, they did exactly what we wanted for this movie, right? Brought back Justin Lin. Next movie, they're like, they're now playing, guys. They want little Brian to hit him. Let's hit him. So after the plane ride, they're back in America. We're back in 1989. We've seen the dad die in, this movie doesn't have great effects. When that father's car explodes, it looks like a bad person who doesn't know how to use Adobe After Effects. Several times, they're going to be on moving vehicles, and you could just, like, tell that they are not actually on a moving vehicle. There's either a screen or something behind them. Here's the thing, Arnie. I, I've always, like, been shocked because I'm like, okay, that's obviously CGI. And you're like, no, they really dragged a safe. I'm like, okay, that seems really CGI. No, they, like, I went and watched some behind-the-scenes stuff, and... They do a lot of actual practical stuff, flipping cars, like magnets pulling stuff. Well, this wasn't magnets, but it, the air guns shooting stuff out windows. So it looks like magnets pulling. Like they do a lot of practical stuff. But again, it looked a lot of CGI to me. And I, I don't know if it's cinematography, what it is. There is a plastic sheen over so much of this. And I think that's part of my problem, too, is like I, I want to see real cars crash. Like that is your selling point to me with Fast and Furious. Cars doing cool stunts. Like, yeah, the modern day Mad Max instead of being in the future. Give it to me. But so much of it does. Look, I'm sure they enhanced stuff with CGI, but yeah, a lot of it looks fake to me. But here is where young Dom is going to confront the driver who hit their dad, because at this point, they're just blaming him solely for their dad's death, right? They just think he clipped their dad, their dad went into a wall, flew in the air, blew up. Somehow blew up in the air. And so that's why Dom, when this guy talks bad about the father, he just gonna beat him with a wrench. Although, it looks like a pipe wrench. I think it was supposed to be a socket wrench, according to part one, but... Pipe wrench's got more heft to it. I mean, it's no ridic more ridiculous than the monologue that was given in part one, but I feel like to dramatize it with these younger actors, again, I feel like the younger actors... Better actors. Yeah, it made me wish, particularly when we get the drag racing scene. I'm like, yeah, I wish they would pass this off to a new generation. I really am tired of looking at these older people. Finn Cole is pretty good in this as young John Cena. I don't think he looks that much like John Cena. Every once in a while, we're going to get a glimpse of him from an angle, and I think that he does, but most of the time he doesn't. We did review him. He was in Slaughterhouse Rules. I don't know why you'd remember it, but I got him confused briefly with Finn Wolfhard because of the name. 
but Young Dom, I swear, I don't know if they did a voiceover or did a merge voice or what have you, but I do think that that Young Dom, Vinny Bennett, is so well cast. He is, He's actually able to give the performance and look the part. Again, I could have watched a movie where they were the stars. I could have accepted a movie that was much lower budget, less spy adventure, and more about just, yeah, brothers that aren't getting along and drag race. Dom, Fast and Furious Origins. <laughs> My question is, we see Dom go to jail and he's going to meet Leo and Santos. These are the guys that they helped in part five, right? Is that when they were introduced? They were introduced in four, and then they were back in five, and I think again in seven. Okay. Did Dom know them already in four? Because here that he has a history with them. Was that established in four? In four, it opens up with them hijacking a fuel tanker, and those two are part of the hijacking crew. So we don't know when they met, sometime in the Dominican Republic, I guess. I guess Cardi B was down there too. Well, no, in prison here. Right, but I, I was saying in part four, they were down in the DR. Okay, so no continuity issues here. Nope. And if there were, it wouldn't bother me. Because, again, who wants to keep track of all this? No, I was just curious. And meanwhile, I was smiling. I'm like, oh my god, it's Santos and Leo. Those two, I don't know those actors. I don't know why you bring them back. But because they're such minor characters and they remind me of Scott Kahn and Casey Affleck in Ocean's Eleven, I'm always happy when they show up. It's gratifying that they're trying to tie up storylines and Dom meeting them. Boy, hold on to this one. What we're supposed to learn from this meeting is while Dom is in prison, he started working in the shop. Leo and Santos uh, are in jail because they blew up banks. They're some kind of bomb expert. And they're the ones that tell him, if you fiddle with these wires, your car's going to blow up. I don't think that Dom had it in his head that his brother could have rigged the stock car in the 1989 race until he meets them. And so after that point, he emerges from prison, convinced that his brother murdered their father. And that he didn't mean to murder the father, but like what Leo and Santos said is if you want to throw a race, you do this. So maybe Jacob was trying to make their father lose for a bet or something. That's my confusion is like, we're going to find out this is about throwing a race. I don't know. Just take your foot off the gas a little bit. Right. I don't know why you have to sabotage your own car and blow it up. I don't know much about sports racing, but it seems to me like you don't have to flip and explode. No. <laughs> in order to not cross the finish line. I mean, you just, you know, have a <laughs> headache and just don't drive as fast that day. Just don't feel good. I mean, we saw how long they spent in the pit stop. That's going to lose the race for you, too. You're supposed to have those pit stops are supposed to be quick. I guess what I'm saying is it's overly convoluted to try and work into the dad's death scene, the idea that Dom is going to be convinced that Jacob caused it. And that's the rift that, although it's confusing because he gives him a chance to come back into the family if he can beat him at this Colorado Street Bridge race that like he gives him a chance just by like, if you can outrace me, I'll forgive you. But if you can't, you're exiled from the family. This scene bothered me. I'm good with young Dom, and I'm fine with young Jacob, but here we get Letty and Vince and Jesse, and it did not look right to me. It looked like Fast and Furious Degrassi High. 
they're prettier than they actually i mean they'll grow up uglier i'll just put it that way i feel like all these young people i'm like oh look at you so fresh-faced you won't look like this in five years i don't want to be mean but michelle rodriguez is much prettier than aja diana hale the idea that we're seeing these characters so young that they can barely be out of high school i think gives them a fresh-faced quality that you're talking about that may be distracting because we think of these characters always being a little hard a little salty they don't have any saltiness to them right now i honestly didn't even know they were supposed to be those characters till the end credits yeah i I didn't realize that this is all news to me (laughs) that letty was supposed to be at this race and Mm -hmm. yeah she starts the race yeah i didn't realize that was letty do they say your name or you're supposed to know that you're supposed to know and then vince and jesse were there too so okay i didn't know that but what got me is okay so Don went to jail I think they'd said for two years so this is 1991 I mean I know we're all woke now right so you're not gonna have the booty shorts and everything that we had in the old LA street races you're not gonna have the menage a trois going on as racers are racing just wait till we get to London I don't even know what the hell that white dress party is (laughs) but they're all there just in jeans and shirts and I'm like If this is 91, shouldn't they all be wearing flannel at least or something? They're going to play a Prodigy song during the race. That Prodigy song came out in 95. If this is 95, Dominic had a really hard six years before the first movie came out. They didn't play a Prodigy song. They played a rap song with a Prodigy sample in it. So it's technically we're listening to a new song as reflecting on the past. But do these scenes, I don't think it adds anything to the characters because I don't think these characters are very multidimensional, as you've already pointed out. I eat too much or I'm the techie. Like these are usually there's some total of their character. Yeah, but if you have 30 characters, then it's a very multidimensional film, even if they only have one each. That's 30 dimensions. Right. It's all about the family. Can I also say, though, Justin Lin filmed some of the best car stuff in the entire Fast Saga from the amazing races of Tokyo Drift, which still hold up, to the bank heist in part five, the crazy mind driving in part four. This race is really lackluster, and the only thing I got is because I rewatched them all, he beats his brother the same way he beats Brian, is because Brian, in their first race, hit the Nas too early, and Dom said, you know, specifically, oh, too early. And then Dom hits the Nas at the right moment, races past, and wins. He'd referred to Brian as his brother. What this is setting up is he saw in Brian some of the things Jacob did, and that helped cause the brotherly feeling he felt towards Brian. Again, you're not going to get me to see any Paul Walker and John Cena. Like, they don't even kind of, I mean, just body type. Like, they don't look the same. And he doesn't look anything like Vince either. Like, it just, none of that is going to translate. And more to the point, please stop trying to remind me of Brian. I didn't like Brian. And the series didn't like Brian. They were phasing him out when he died. Yeah, there were rumors I read recently that he was planning on the seventh being his last, even beforehand, but... Yeah, he was becoming so marginalized in that story. He was the least interesting crew member. And yeah, now because of what that 
real life death gave this series, they now exploit that. They use that tragedy to try and get more out of it than they should, frankly. I mean, this is a spy show now. That's why we're in the Caspian Sea layer of Mr. Nobody. They are now in like something straight out of a James Bond film with giant magnets and the vault doors. And this is where they're learning about the Ares device. This is when they have it spelled out to them. Help me out with this. No, no, you help me out, Stuart. This is my. What does Ares do? Just beside, like, just take over everything? Can you imagine being handed that? Like, that's like saying, put on these oven mitts and try to play a Beethoven concerto. I'm controlling every computer ever? I don't know even now how to do that. What? No way. No thanks. I can see pluses to this. Like, if you think about how Bitcoin is created or before Bitcoin, do you remember SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence? Yep. You could put a program on your computer, same as mining Bitcoin, and a centralized application utilizes the computer power you're not using. So if you leave your computer on at night, it's going to use your computer power to help search for extraterrestrials or help make Bitcoin and all of that on the blockchain. And so if you could control everything, A, you have that device from the dark night where you can find anyone, B, you can read anything, you can hijack anything, C, you have unlimited computing power to do stuff, and D, you just hold the world hostage. You can turn off their power. You rule the world. I guess that is his goal. I I mean, I'm trying to figure out Jacob's motivation, and they're saying he's trying to, you know, get out of Dom's shadow, but what's the motivation for controlling all the machines? Yes, this is my issue. This is... Turned up to 11, baziness. What is the through line to Jacob accidentally killing his father who was in debt, so he had to throw a race, to wanting to take over the world? And every computer. I feel like motivation should be there. If he was like, I just want to wipe out all the financial debt because that's what ruined my family and caused my dad's death. Like, okay, I could at least buy that, but... They're like, oh, he's just going to rule everything. This is some 60s James Bond stuff where like that seemed like a really cool idea to just rule the world. Like, does anyone want to rule the world besides, I don't know, maybe North Korea, but like just give me some money so I can live comfortably. I don't even need a billion dollars, just a few million so I don't have to work anymore and I'm good. I don't need to control every computer. Like, I don't understand the through line from my dad died because of debt to I'm going to take over the world. You're being too kind, Jacob. I honestly expected at one point John Cena to yell, Cobra! Because that's the level we're at. We are at G.I. Joe level stupidity here. Yeah. Although I would say it made a lot of sense in the last movie. What they've done is they've given Cypher's motivations to this guy. Like, that's what doesn't make any sense. If you were telling me Charlize Theron wanted to get this, I would say, yeah, this feels like a sequel to Fate of the Furious. But if you're telling me that Dom's brother, I get, I mean, I'm a younger brother. I know what it is to live in the shadow of an older brother, but at no point have I ever wanted to, like, control all of technology to show him up. Like, you know, (laughs) I'm turning off your oven. You're not going to bake those cookies, mom, for my brother no more. And what is the difference between this? I, I remember Charlize Theron, she had something that like controlled all the Teslas or something. This is different than the last film? You know what? When we were talking about Fate of the Furious, we were talking about it was going to be a two-parter and that it feels like in some ways 
it still is. Like this feels like her ultimate plot was to get this level of control, but they've decided because God or Brian or maybe just a casting director said, we need to get John Cena in this movie. And then said, yeah, I approve of that. Suddenly we have to give him motivations that his character can't bear. That's really the problem. You do have Charlie's in this movie. It's worth pointing out. She has a couple scenes in a Hannibal Lecter glass case, but, you know, glowering and saying things like nobody remembers Genghis Khan's brother either. But by and large, I feel like you needed one or the other. Either Charlize is good enough to be the villain still, or you get rid of her and give a hotline that can support Cena. Yeah, she's broken out at the beginning of this film. Just have her be the bad guy. Those were her people rescuing her from Mr. Nobody. Move on. We don't need a brother. I knew she was in this movie, and I thought Jacob was going to be the henchman. That's how I thought they were going to pull this all off. Is she, remember in the last movie, she turned Dom into her henchman by blackmailing him and saying, I'm going to kill your baby mama. I'm going to kill your baby. Here, I thought since Dom had rebelled, she went to Dom's brother and was like, do you want to get revenge on your brother? And there's even a line in the trailer of, can you kill your brother? I thought she was going to pull that same scam and she was the mastermind. I don't know if Kurt Russell was busy and Charlize was busy and they could get him each for a day. (laughs) I mean, Charlize doesn't even have a costume change. So they literally could have filmed all her scenes in two days. I'm guessing Cena wouldn't want to be a henchman. He, his ego would say that I'm good enough to be the villain of this movie. And so I think it's the choice of this movie of when we have five different ideas and instead of scrapping four, we just put them all in the bowl. Let them fight it out and see which one wins. We have a movie that is bursting with plot lines and subplots and it creates a ridiculous stew that, again, you guys should have no problem with if you love outrage. If you love how melodramatic and stupid and over the top this series has been, you should be able to withstand this. I never liked the melodrama. I'm just going to put that out there. Never liked the family stuff. And... Yeah, outrage is fine. Ridiculousness is fine. But I'm outraged at how much time they're wasting with me. Like, we got to find Jacob. So we're going to go to Michael Rooker, who I don't know who this guy is. And he's going to just know where he's in London. And then we're going to meet another character. And like Michael Rooker was the head of the racing crew in 1989. And I guess he hasn't aged a day since. And so when Jacob was out of the family, he'd gone to be with Michael Rooker for a while. And so those two had kept in touch as he'd kept in touch with Mia, because we're bringing in Jordana Brewster because we don't have enough characters here. I love it. Like, yeah, I just left our kid with Brian. Like, Brian ain't coming back. It's me, Mia. Like, she never did anything in those other films, right? Because she's going to be full on, like, martial arts expert all of a sudden now. Like, did she ever do anything but, like, kind of pine for Brian? It is a reversal of part seven where she is holed up at a compound with their baby and she's pregnant and she doesn't get to do anything while Brian has the adventure. But no, she's in here, and that made sense to me, because if you're going to deal with a long-lost brother, you should, you know, the family should reunite, you should have the sister here. But it's really like, oh, hi, Mia, why don't you two ladies go off to Tokyo? Yeah, because they gotta get Han. Yeah, because that postcard of the Mexican church had a Tokyo postmark on it. Yeah, this is where, again, you you make choices about what can and can't be done within the frame of a single film. And if you're telling me I have three movies to get there, then you can be judicious about when to calculate these moments. The fact that 
Yeah, we have the whole team scattered. And yeah, the only one that makes sense to me is Dom is actually going to London to try and follow up where the other half of the device is and find out where his brother is. That's what everyone should be doing. But yeah, people are going to Tokyo. People are going to Germany watching rockets being put on Pontiacs. That's the scene I again say with Roman and Tej. Why is that scene at that place? Why are they? I mean, I know they're foreshadowing the rockets, but they go and find the Tokyo Drift Trio, who are now in Germany blowing up cars by putting rockets on them. And it's good to see those three again, although I don't know what happened to two of them. But (laughs) it's good to see them back from Tokyo Drift. Life. The school of life, hard knocks. This is what happens when you're getting Tokyo Drift residuals instead (laughs) of being in the rest of the franchise. Yeah. Master P, don't pull in the money anymore. He can't support my (laughs) lifestyle. But I don't know what that scene accomplished. But why did they go there then? Oh, that's easy. Because if they didn't, you would completely forget about Tej and Roman for the next hour. And so in order just to keep reminding you, it's a juggling act. That ball is coming, whether you want it or not. You have to keep showing these characters every 10 minutes, even when they have nothing to do with this plot. When the only thing happening is Dom fueling the plot, you've got to take a scene that was obviously meant for the climax and bring it in an hour early. Okay, so you agree with me. That scene should have been at the climax and they in editing. Oh, yeah. It was at the climax. Yes, the editor said, we haven't seen these guys in an hour and 15 minutes. What do we do? Well, give them a scene. I'd like you all to rewatch this movie, and I'm speaking to our listeners as well, and count the number of people Vin Diesel talks to, because I think it's four. I don't think he ever talks to Roman and Tesh. <laughs> I mean, except through the microphones when they're driving. To tell them to go to Germany, that's it. I don't think he has conversations with most of the people here, making me wonder if The Rock is right. Is Vin Diesel a candy ass who's not showing up on set? He's like, I'm not giving my time to Tyrese. You let me know when I got to talk to John Cena. Because he does not, although he will talk to Helen Mirren. Yeah, that, that's the thing. You're saying Dom is what matters. We go to London, but what the hell matters in London? Like, this feels, let's just add scenes. Let's throw in more cameos. We got Queenie, Helen Mirren, like, give her a spinoff better than anyone else in this film. And she's stealing stuff because that's what she does. And she's like, hey, if you help me get away, then I'll tell you where Jacob is in London. And then she proceeds to drive. Like, all Dom does is pull a handbrake in that car. I don't know how he helps her get away. He doesn't want to uh, participate in crimes anymore. He says he doesn't steal anymore. So he can only sit in the passenger seat. She offers him a cut of the theft if he drives. And he says no. Okay. But because they're old buddies from last film, you know, she is Shaw's mom. Then she's going to give him the information and even a ride to where Jacob is. But again, this is... Bay level like badness here. Like, there's no reason for Queenie to be here. Like, she just happens to know where this castle is in London that Jacob's hanging out at. Like, it's the exact opposite of good screenwriting. Yeah, it's it's bad. (laughs) You hit good screenwriting. You take as much as you can and streamline it for a cohesive story with characters that matter. And here, it feels like on every rewrite, it's like, how could we get more people in? 
Yeah, like, I think this whole London scene is to get hold of a biometric gun so we could continue to track the character we just found. <laughs> yeah, yes. The plot should not be followed. In fact, they're begging you not to. It reminds me of, like, the old Ocean's Eleven or one of those Rat Pack movies where it is. There are just a lot of them hanging out and you just gotta want to see Helen Mirren again. Like, that's... The appeal. It's not that she added anything to this moment. Yeah. Michael Rooker tells him, go to London. And then she's like, here's the castle. But the truth of the matter is, they already know that the second half of the device is in Scotland. They could go straight there. But why would you follow a straight line when we can hit all the previous you know, greatest moments. Again, the idea, the, the party, it is about adding as many characters, which is what you would do if this were the beginning of the end. If you were saying goodbye to everyone that ever mattered, and I feel like they've been doing that a while now, ever since Brian died, they've been on nostalgia road, but like that seems to be the motivation. We don't want to forget about any character that has ever crossed our path, no matter how small. And yet we're going to get more characters. We're going to get Otto, we're going to get Lisa. Like, we're, we're going to keep adding characters as we go to confront Jacob. Yeah. Okay, Otto I like. Otto is John Cena's henchman who we meet out front. And he says all the women in the white dresses work for him. And he has a great dental plan. I actually like the dental plan bit where the henchman then smiles and shows his big white straight teeth. Yeah, what is this? Yeah, why is he funding this? What? I he's rich enough to fund like satellite. I I don't know. I guess Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk do that. So th that is in the realm of possibility. But it's I don't know Otto's motivation, just like Jacob's like, I don't why get involved in all this? There's one scene, Jacob, where Otto is talking to Jacob and is talking about um, I had to live in my father's shadow, but I thought my father and I had a bad relationship. But I uh, see every family is crazy and Jacob responds, when this is over, your father will be asking you for an allowance. So that's his whole motivation. You get it in one brief scene and you have to understand it because Charlie Theron is then going to use that sense of inferiority against Otto later. And oh my God, I'm helping this movie way more than I want to. Yeah, no, none of this makes <laughs> sense. I mean, the fact, okay, we're, we're going to get this standoff where they pull guns on each other. The Interpol is going to show up, arrest Dom. Only to find out more of my time has been wasted because, hey, it's Cardi B. No, this is the best thing in the whole movie. This is the highlight for me of the entire nine movie arc. Because it's so stupid? Because it makes no sense? Because we're now guest starring musical acts that probably should just be on the soundtrack. But since we owe her a favor, she needed to come with subtitles. I don't know a damn thing that she says. Something <laughs> about the gun metrics. Yes, there's biometrics coded to the gun, so now you can track Jacob with the gun somehow. Yeah. So, I wanted to know who this character was, and I downloaded some subtitles, and I did some research, and I found some interviews. Vin Diesel's daughter's a huge Cardi B fan. I guess Vin's just rocking that wet-ass pussy all over the house. And so Vin invited her to join the Fast and Furious crew. Justin Lin said... Cardi B showed up, and within a minute, she is part of the family. She is now embedded in this overall universe. She's been around for a long time, just off screen. This is the first time we're seeing her. We're, I'm really looking forward to exploring her character in 10 and 11. 
Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, it's obvious, like, they just wanted to bring her in, unless she's not popular anymore. Now, keep in mind the the fickleness of fame. If by the time they crank out that last movie and, you know, she's no longer top of the charts, they'll have to find whoever is. And they do tie her in to the past in two places. First, they she says, without Dom, she'd still be hanging out in the DR. So back when he was in the Dominican Republic, apparently he was hanging with her. And they say she's the sister of Kara. Kara was Ronda Rousey's character who beat up Letty in Abu Dhabi. Seven, yeah. Do you like this, Arnie? Do you? I, I feel like you must because you 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 have this like need to like tie it all together. It was really important to you. I hate this. I hate this. At one point, again, you like you say with subtitles, but at one point. Cardi B says, did you see my ass in that white dress? I heard that. So they were the girls in white and then they put on Interpol costumes? I saw this movie again. I went back this morning, okay? I went back for Cardi B. I did not (laughs) see Cardi B in a white dress outside. At no point when Vin Diesel is walking by does he share a meaningful glance with Cardi B. And at no point am I realizing why Cardi B would know to then take her crew and get in Interpol costumes with white dresses under them, I don't know, and race in to arrest Dom, to rescue Dom, and then give him the gun with the biometrics, and later on, they're like, why don't we just use God's eye? Why don't we just track him with the cameras that we had back in, like, part six And they're like, oh, because people can hide from cameras. You can't hide from biometrics. It's called God's eye. You can't hide from God. That's the whole point. I so wish we were watching Roman eat Tootsie Roll Pops at this point. Me too. This movie's infuriating. Stuart, you ask if I like it. I'm steaming with anger at how stupid this is. It's so convoluted. Arnie, it's always been stupid. How can you be against stupid now? It's been your ride or die this whole series. You know something? I'm going to give you a metaphor. I like a salad. You give me a bowl of lettuce with some dressing. I like it. You know what I love? I love a seven-layer salad. That is really good shit. You know what I don't love? A 14-layer salad, where at that point you're putting on avocado and cherries. You've overstuffed your salad. Fast five, fast seven, that's a good seven-layer salad. Here, somebody's dumping some pickle juice on the top of that shit, and it is gross. Yeah, they're throwing in a cheeseburger, just as, why not? Like, like just throw it all in there. At some point, it breaks. Like, you can overstuff it, but at some point, it's going to burst, and it's bursted now. Honestly, I agree with you, but I would have agreed with you if you could have seen this back in, like, the fourth movie. You know, like, this has been a, a long-standing problem. It's always been, like, it, it, it didn't start as a salad. It started as a seven-layer salad with the first movie. It's been at a 20-layer <laughs> salad, and now it wants to add ten more layers. Like, you have already been eating this garbage. <laughs> my, my biggest problem, though, is the storytelling here. I don't remember it ever being this thin where we're going to have no reason to introduce care characters no reason for scenes just because but we got to get a cameo in there this is really where i turn against this film is when we're in london and you've just wasted my time because none of this stuff matters <laughs> i i love it for precisely that cardi b exposes what it's all been about i don't know who cardi b is maybe if i did i would enjoy this more rita aura had a cameo in Fast and Furious 6, and that didn't bother me because you know what her cameo was? Is she started a race and 
set a line to Letty, as I recall. And I'm fine with that. But Cardi B is going to nonsensically alter the plot of this movie. And that's what's bugging me. The whole thing is a plate-spinning act, which is a hard trick to do. And yeah, the mix is off here. They tried to spin too many plates. And part of having fun at a movie like this is feeling like you're going for a ride, a roller coaster ride if you want to go with the most cliche movie analogy. And here, I feel like the roller coaster keeps stopping and starting, and there's loops, but I don't have enough momentum to go through them, and it's just trying to do too much with too little. The movies have always been thin, but at least they've been thin and had momentum, and here... They hit the brakes. Here's my metaphor. You talked about juggling a lot of characters, Stuart. And it can be fun. Not too much fun to watch someone juggle. But, you know, maybe if they throw a chainsaw on there, it gets fun. But the the fun of juggling is, like, you add more balls. Oh, my gosh, it's getting crazier and crazier. But you always keep them in the air. I feel like at this point, those balls have now fallen. And and the trick is to kick them out of the way so I don't step on them and, and fall down as I'm trying to get through this plot. I mean, you can tell me this is all about plot. It's never been about plot to me. It's not about good car chases. I feel like we're getting to our second one. The weird thing is there has been a lot of time between the fake Central American country and our next big car chase scene, which is now we're finally going to get the other half of the device in Edinburgh, Scotland. So they're in Edinburgh. They're tracking the biometrics. The computers go wonky because there's a giant magnet. And might I remind everyone... The magnets were the trick of the last movie. Roman even had a line, We're doing magnets now! So we're doing magnets again. Although, does nobody know or does nobody care how magnets really work? Nobody cares. Don't be talking to no scientists. I started my introduction with that, (laughs) Stuart Arnie. I'm not a scientist, but I've played with magnets as a kid. It's miracles. Just like the insane clown posse said, it's miracles. Don't try to tell me about polarity and all that. My God, you sound like Kirk Cameron. I'm sounding like this film. Are you serious right now? I can't tell whether you're serious right now. You're really bothered by the use of the magnets in this movie? I wouldn't be if I was having more fun, but yes. Okay, all right, there we go. There's the truth of the of what you're saying. Because I'm like, if you're going to talk to me about, oh, this wouldn't happen like that, get off the fucking bus. This <laughs> franchise has never been about what you could do in a car. It's never been about that. It's always interesting when people turn on something that they've enjoyed. Like, up to this point, I feel like you've been more or less on the bus. Both of you, Jacob to a lesser degree. I, Jacob was in maybe the back of the bus. Arnie, like, in the driver's seat. But now it feels like you guys really, really are not liking this franchise anymore for being what it is. I'm not liking this film. Look, I started off saying I'm never going to rewatch any of these films again. I never liked the franchise. I've recommended some of the films, but I don't like this one. That's what I'm saying, Stuart, that this film is really bad. It's indicative of all of the craziest impulses that they've always had. It is the most extreme version of what it has always been. And taste is about knowing when to pull back, when to push the boundaries and when to pull back. And they don't know when to pull back here. Mm -hmm. In case you're thinking, like, I love this film. It's absolutely terrible. It's so terrible, I can't even believe it. But I kind of love it for that in the same way that I felt like you loved Batman and Robin. Like, this is just so bad that, like, of course it wound up like this. Of course they ended up making a movie this bad. They were always going to make a movie this bad with all the encouragement that all the fans gave them up to this point. If Batman and Robin, like, try to sell, like... 
we're family. Raise one for the fam. Like, ooh. it's the fact that they do try to like have some serious melodrama mm-hmm. in these films. Like that is always what I push against. I'm like, get rid of the family stuff. It is awful. If they got rid of all that, I might be able to go with this one. But this still wants to have a serious core to it. I go with the family stuff because it's funny. You know, it's so cheesy that I find it funny. Right. So yeah, the family. I just kind of laugh at, but yet it also has a weird sort of heart to it. You know, it's just got this little bit of we care about each other. So that makes you care about us as we do these crazy stunts. We're more about the stunts than we are about the family, but we're going to also talk about family and leave no one behind except Roman in Central America. The family thing only has any weight because they have Paul Walker's blood on this. That's it. That's exactly why people actually give it weight. Because someone really died. And they died in a fast car at that. So because of that, we can counter-transfer all those feelings onto something that we would never bear it otherwise. But finally, this is the scene I was talking about. They're finally going to give Ramsey her chase. The joke is she's never even been behind the wheel of a motor vehicle before. And now she's got the parcel van with the giant magnets in the back. Roman and Tej are beating up goons while she's trying to get out of first gear and chase after Otto and his Jaguar. This stuff is awful. The whole, oh, I don't know how to drive. Oh, let me turn on the car. Oh, it's it's the windshield wipers. Oh, oops, sorry, I hit you. I didn't mean to do... Like, I've seen this a million times. It's never funny. Never funny, people. Stop doing it. Never funny? I feel like it's a Muppet movie funny. Um, okay, replace her with Fozzie Beard. I might laugh, but no, I've seen this so much. i rolling my eyes harder than uh, phones are flying to this magnet. The, these movies have never created anything. Okay, they've been about stunts and pushing things further than we've seen before. The first movie was Point Break 1.1, okay? This movie... Yeah, I hated it for that. These movies are all about doing things we've seen before and giving us comfort food. And so in that regard, I go with it, but... I know Ramsey's a genius hacker. Couldn't they give her an automatic drive? Because I do not believe somebody driving for the first time can do a stick. No, sticks are hard. I can't even drive a stick. (laughs) It took me like a month to learn a stick. So, but this magnet stuff I like, where she's turning on the magnets and the guns are getting attached and turning off the magnets and the guns are dropping. That's fun magnet stuff that I don't think we've seen before. When we see the magnets going on again on the ground with the cars, not so much. Meanwhile, Vin Diesel, did you know he can run as fast as a zipline? Sure, why not? Why, why get away with zip lines? Like, like you got to repeatedly like shoot to an next building. I guess we saw a car Tarzan. Why not have seen a Tarzan in this as well? It would serve him well to just walk out of the building and get in yes. the car and go. But why not? <laughs> yes, create your own zip line as you go on the roof. Again, like you guys are outraged and I would be too if I hadn't already lived through this franchise. But now I feel like chickens are come home to roost. And yes, this is so stupid. Of course it is. Again, do silly stuff in cars, not on foot, not with fighting. Like this is a car franchise. Sure, it's spies and all that stupid stuff. But the selling point is the cars. Figure out how to do stuff with cars or motorcycles. Have been jumping from roof to roof on a motorcycle. That'd be so much better. They do jump roof to car roof. I mean, at one point they're on a bus tour and jumping on the hoods of some cars. How does John Cena know when he jumps out that window, there's a double-decker bus right there to soften his fall? 
Because it's a Fast and Furious movie. It's not, though, anymore. They haven't used the word fast since part six. They're just furious now. Something's furious, and I think it's these old fans, or at least Arnie. I mean, again, Arnie's the interesting one, because you claim to love this series. But what I've heard is the the turning point, which was Fast Five, was where you wanted to get off. That was the high that they've never been able to recreate. But I wanted them to recreate it. If Fast Five was Ocean's Eleven, which I believed in, it was Fast Five that made me say, we're doing the series because I love Fast Five and we need to discuss how Fast Five brings all these things together, then if Fast Five was Ocean's Eleven, I was at least hoping for an Ocean's Thirteen, and here I think we're in Ocean's Twelve. Okay, I, I think I understood that to mean as we're in the unfun sequel. Yeah, where they try to do too much and tie too much back and, you know, I'd even be fine with an Ocean's Eight. But don't give me Ocean's 12. And here with the magnets, they capture John Cena because even though they're on a different street, they know when to fire the magnet. And again, what shocked me was I watched this scene. I'm like, oh, obviously bad CGI. Nope. It's a composite shot. They didn't really pull it through a building, but they did like pull a car on a blue screen and then composited all the, all this together. Uh, I just wished it looked more real. I wish they would have figured out a way to pull it through a building and have it go in there. That would have been the thrill for me is, is just having this feel more real. I agree. You don't think these scenes look good. That's a surprise to me. No, they look CGI to me, but I learned my lesson because Arnie's always correcting me. No, they actually did this. I did my research this time. Don't worry about whether they really did it or not. Do you get a rush watching it or not? No, because I feel like it's fake and the rush would be going, wow, they really pulled a car through a building to pull that off. Okay. I mean, Mission Impossible Fallout, like that movie is amazing because it's all real. But most movies are fake. And I I guess I would just say I still find it its own kind of thrill when they're jumping on the cars and all the things that are happening, just the movement of, of way, the velocity of the way things are traveling across the screen. And the, yeah, the Cena's car being pulled through a building to land up in the trunk of the magnet car, all of that stuff. It still has a whoosh. I get that the plot's awful, but I still feel like if the point is the car chases, the Central American jungle and this scene are good scenes. They do work in the way that they're designed to. There's just not enough of them though. Like the, we've talked about two car chases in the fast saga. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm calling it the Furious Saga now. I think it's all about being furious. I'm really curious to know, Arnie, if you're furious about Han. Because while these guys have been chasing after the second half of the Ares device, they have given Letty and Mia the task of, look at this old postcard. It's from Tokyo, but it's of Dom's church from the fourth movie. So that must be some coded mission. Go eat a bowl of ramen. First Mexican flag you see, you're going to find Han. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, in Tokyo, how many Mexican flags do you think are being flown? I don't know, but uh, they they found it. And all of a sudden, (laughs) they're in a room full of ninja girls and SWAT teams. (laughs) What is this SWAT team? Is this Otto's men? Like, they never explain this. There's a big fight. Mia's all of a sudden an MMA fighter. There's a ninja chick there. I don't know what's going on (laughs) at all. Han sniping people. They're never going to call back to what this attack was about. Things happen so fast in there. I shit you not. I thought they'd turned Letty into a ninja. They're all wearing black. I see a woman in black, like, start doing flips and getting somebody between their legs. And I'm like... They did not just get a stunt double in to be Michelle Rodriguez ninja style. And then I realized, no, 
there's a ninja in there with them. I do like that they kept Jordana Brewster basically as a brawler. Yes, I feel like Michelle Rodriguez was a little bit MMA here. But what I think is John Cena knew that this girl was the key. And he had sent people to get her because he was thinking he'd now have both sides of the orb. So that's who the commandos are. You think these are Cena's men or Otto's men that are waiting in in wait to ambush Han's apartment? Yes. That is my assumption that it's Otto, Cena's men. But again, have a scene. Get Kurt Russell back torturing Mr. Nobody and him revealing who the key is. Because I feel like Jacob doesn't know who the key is until he just overhears the whole conversation while he's locked up. Correct. Yeah, otherwise, it doesn't explain why he allowed himself to be caught to listen to the good guys. You know, he's wanted this activation key. He knew where the other half of the device was. He knew he would be able to steal it, but he didn't know what he would do when he got the two halves together because you still need a key. He had to be locked up listening to the good guys in order to figure that out. Thus, I don't think it is him or Otto's men lying in wait. I think just Han has enemies, and they're always wanting to kill him. (laughs) So stupid. So Jacob let himself be captured? I thought they legitimately captured him, because we see him radioing Otto and say, Otto, I need my pickup, and Otto went to the wrong street because Otto's an idiot. This is not the Joker. This is, you know, not Skyfall with with this all-knowing villain that's letting himself get caught. There is no explanation. It's like Monty Hall. It's like, you know that reference. It's just like, bad game show behind door number three kind of shit like surprise like it doesn't make any sense i know monty hall more from golden child than anything else (laughs) but anyway let's talk about han's story because this is where he comes back into the fold he is the sniper that takes out the last of these men he is going to go back with letty with mia and with this ninja chick who we're going to find out her name is l and tell a very long-winded story you've already started to make headwind into Arnie in the plot detail, but help me out here. Doesn't he just say Mr. Nobody did his magic? And I think in this universe, it's literally magic and just faked his death. He faked his death and then he became a spy or he became a spy and then did Tokyo Drift. That part was confusing. Yeah, I think the death was fake so he could take care of L. Like, because her parents were killed in another explosion, which I thought was Hans' explosion, I got very confused. So many nebulous SWAT team people planning car bombs. Who? At one point, until I saw the mid-credits scene, I thought Shaw was in on it, and this is how they were going to redeem him and say it's okay to like him, that he was working for Mr. Nobody, but I guess that wasn't the case. I thought the same thing, but we did see Shaw blow up Dom's house at the same time, remember? Mr. Nobody was trying to cover something else up. It's all part of the plan. The way I took it was, during Tokyo Drift, Han was approached by Nobody, and maybe Nobody knew Shaw was after Han, maybe, and this was all an arranged thing. They give this more explanation than they give Letty, as far as why he's back to life, but it's thin. It's Justin Lin... Like Soon Kang a lot and wanted him back. Yeah, I get that. That you, I'm not making a movie without him. And they'll accept anything I tell them when it's a Fast and the Furious movie. It doesn't need to make too much sense. But I just literally want to understand what I'm being told. Giselle died. Han is heartbroken. He goes to Japan. Mr. Nobody says, oh, G- Giselle used to work for me. You should work for me. Giselle worked for him? Yeah, that's why they have all those flashbacks. Yeah, they do tie Giselle back into this. Yeah. 
drug trafficking in Central America is what got said. And I thought that the ninja was going to be revealed to be Han. I guess it couldn't be Giselle's kid because she dies. But I'm like, oh, they called her L, Giselle. Like, I thought there was going to be some relationship there. Soon Kang has said fans should start a Bring Back Giselle movement. And I honestly think Gadot made a mistake because Fast and Furious movies trump Wonder Woman movies at the box office. Not even counting Wonder Woman 2, which only made $46 million domestic. Wonder Woman 1 made $818 worldwide. Fast 7 made $1.5 billion worldwide. She picked the wrong horse. No, no, you're thinking like a bean counter. Like, the more money you make, the better the movie is. Yeah, she's getting paid way more for Wonder Woman than she would for these films. Not, not even that. I'm in Wonder Woman, a much better film than anything Fast Furious <laughs> yes. has ever been. And it's about me. Wrong, 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 wrong. Fast Five, better than Wonder Woman. Fast and Furious, one, better than Wonder Woman. Oh, wow. Your love of Fast Five is overblown. That movie was cute, but it wasn't good. Fast 7, slightly better than Wonder Woman 1. And there is not a Fast and the Furious film except two on the level of Wonder Woman 84. At any rate, Giselle worked for Mr. Nobody handling drug cartels in Central America. And after that finish, nobody thought that her boyfriend Han would be good for stealing the Ares device. It's in a vault that these scientists created. He goes to get that and is stealing that when the car bomb goes off. So I can't figure it out. It doesn't matter, I suppose. It is the ultimate in we don't give a shit. Yeah, Mr. Nobody did his magic, and I think they mean that literally. He did magic and brought Han back to life. More to the point, L is like, he saved my life. I see Han getting shot a lot, and she's hiding in a planter. I don't know like how he <laughs> saved her at all. But after that point, he decides he is going to be some kind of mentor for her. That's why he didn't come back and say, I'm alive, or only send a postcard, is that he's protecting this girl. And I'm guessing nobody told him to. In this movie, we're going to be told by Jacob, why do you think nobody approached you? It's because he knew me. But meanwhile, I'm like, but he was working with Han. So wouldn't Han have been the reason why he approached Dom is because he approached Han based upon the stuff Han had done with Dom. <sighs> we just needed a Kurt Russell exposition scene. We needed one long Kurt Russell exposition scene. Actually, I would vote for let's not have Orphan L in this. I feel like... Han didn't need to be some kind of mentor for a child. And I know that that's the theme they're working. Everyone has kids now and doing this shit is harder. But like enough of this. Like, no, he's not a daddy too. What I can't stand is the turn this movie takes. And it's taken it several times in this franchise. And I've complained about it. Remember in part seven when <laughs> Tom and... Jason Statham's Shaw are fighting on top of a parking garage and Dom does the Hulk stomp and the garage crumbles. Yeah, no, wasn't that though shot with like a missile from the rock beforehand? Wasn't the the structure weekend? It was, but he still Okay, which I get I get what you're saying, Arnie, but cuz I know where you're going with this cuz this 
This I, I actually wrote down the Incredible Hulk. Yes. Like Dom, the Incredible Hulk, is going to pull down an entire concrete building with a single chain. Stuart, this is my arbitrary line. <laughs> Hook up a car to that chain and drive it. I am cool. Like cars can fly because this is a car franchise. And so they could fly building to building part seven. I don't have a problem. When Dom grabs a single chain and brings down an two chains. Oh, sorry, two <laughs> chains. Well, that changes my opinion. It's even worse now. It, it brings down an entire concrete building <laughs> yeah. no no you you can't do that to set this up Otto's men have broken into this nobody base so they can get Jacob out and they're trying to run from the men but for reasons even though they're almost out Dom turns around to fight all these men single-handedly and they get him down I mean he breaks one's back Dom is killing them indiscriminately. He picks up one guy, slams his back on a metal post, breaking his back, picks him up again, and throws him off. And I doubt there's a car down there to soften his fall. And <laughs> then a whole bunch of goons swarm him and catch him. And I'm like, Dom is finally losing a fight. He is being held. He's outnumbered. I thought he was going to die. I'm like, yeah, I thought they were going to get rid of him. I'm like, oh, wow. I guess Vin didn't want to be in the next one because they're going to finally take him out. And they get him on the ground and they all start kicking him like they are a bunch of police officers and Vin's black. And I'm like, well, that's it. You can't get up when eight people are kicking you. And you know what they do with the camera? They zoom in on Vin's face and he's even though they're all kicking him, he's about to get up. And he opens his eyes. I expected Bill Bixby contact lenses. Yes! I really thought at that moment he was going to turn green because he just gets mad and stands up while eight people are kicking him and pulls down a building. Now, I know Vin has it in his contract that he can't lose a fight. This guy is so insecure, he doesn't understand the Rocky mentality that you need to lose a fight in order to make the villain seem good and then you come back stronger. I get that Vin is very short-sighted with his ego about his fights here, but this is re-god-damn ridiculous that he pulls down a building and then... Does Vin think this is his Oscar moment when he falls in the water and is dying? This is so bad. His Yeah, his vision where he walks through his past and and sees things that I, I don't think he ever saw. So, like, this is literally, again, maybe this was, like, the vision he had to pick John Cena that Paul Walker sent him. It is. Stuart, I, I got to guess you're cracking up because the melodrama here is, is just over the top. Marjorie was cracking up. I took Marjorie to see this. And during the scene, she had to put her coat in her mouth so that she was not disturbing the audience. So is that good or bad that you're enjoying it that much? Is that enjoyment when you laugh at something like that? People laugh for different reasons. They're, you know, humor, nervous laughter, whatnot. I'm laughing at this because I'm like, I can't believe they're trying to convince people to buy into this. Like the audacity of the producers, the screenwriters, the direct, like all of this is just, it's shocking because they're trying to make references like, hey, we're in on the joke too. I don't think they're in on the joke in this scene. Again, this isn't meant for camp. I think this is supposed to be a touching moment where Dom is reconciling, I don't know, his childhood or whatnot. And I think it's Vin's ego that just the fact that he's turning his head and squinting in the water and then all of his facial expressions as he confronts his past and oh boy and the sepia tones. It's hurting me. It is hurting me. I don't think it's any more ridiculous than any of the other 
plot contrivance. It's they took it from Skyfall. Like James Bond literally did this, fell off a bridge and had a moment identical to this. So they're just doing what they're always doing, grabbing what's hot or, or or had been a hit for others and repurposing it, trying to put a new engine into it. It's worth pointing out, Jacob had said something to him before he left. He had said that you thought Dad was innocent, but he threw the race. And this is the moment that Dom has to process that he always was defending his father. And now he's seeing scenes of his father talking to collectors on the phone and realizing, putting the pieces together to realize, yeah, my brother didn't ruin that race and kill my dad. My dad was a cheat. This is the moment he has to process that. So it's important that he do in order to be able to accept his brother into the fold the way that he does in the climax. Kind of, but... So now Jacob has everything he needs. Yes, he's kidnapped L, so he has the key. And he has a rolling headquarters because this is a Fast and Furious movie. I mean, I do not understand why he needs to be on a double length semi. I mean, is he from the Knight Foundation and Knight Rider, you know, the Foundation for Law and Government, where they're mobile headquarters for reasons? I mean, he why does he have to be driving around the streets? They explained this in previous movies. Like, I have to be on the move so that such and such doesn't triangulate my position. Here, he just is on a truck for reasons. More than that, why do they have to shoot a satellite to space? I know they're going to say we need to upload Ares to that satellite to infect the other satellites, but again, Ares, it takes over all technology. Hook it up to your phone. There's other satellites that it can uplink stuff, like you talked about SETI. Tap into that computer system and just upload your stuff and take them all over like that. Like, I get it. You want to go to space, but this is silly. You, you've already you created a device that says you don't need to go to space to get the technology up there. I have no problem with them putting a satellite up there. I have a problem with the fact that it, that you can't control the satellite from the ground and you have to go up there to get it. Let's just call it, a, I have a problem that this movie exists, right? <laughs> like, this is the problem. The problem, you're, you're, fi- you're fighting over scraps when, like, you can't see the forest for all the trees. Here it is. This has been so bad for so long and you refuse to see it and now it's beating you. It's literally (laughs) like jumping on you and punching you in the face and you're finally like, oh, I guess I don't like this. It's not any different. This treatment is how you've been treated and even that awesome Fast Five, it slapped you around and knew that it could because you said, please, sir, can I have another? Like, why would this movie respect its audience after all that it swallowed? You're not understanding, though, Stuart. Taking the Fast and Furious people to space is almost enough just to give it a recommend right there. See? Then, okay, so you're not having the problem. Like, ridiculous is fine sometimes, and other times it's not. not. I'm not hearing either one of you completely sure. You know when the line has been crossed, but you don't know where the line is. The line is fun. It's a feeling. Well, I know where the line is because I know when it's crossed. (laughs) Yes, after the fact. I guess I'm saying after the fact. You wouldn't, on paper, if someone said they're going to space, you guys would probably be for it, right? It would be my guess. Stuart, I I think that you could do that to any franchise almost. Uh, Put it in space. If you got a good reason to get there, sure, fine. This plot feels so paper thin. Like, look, none of these plots have been and deep or convincing. But this one, like, again, the fact that I don't even know why the bad guy is a bad guy in this. It just cuz. I feel like I'm watching Transformers at this point. I never felt like I was at that level of stupidity before. 
Never felt like I was at that level of stupidity is something I can't say that I've felt. Michael Bay level. That's a special level. Like, I, I don't treat that lightly. And there is a difference between last night and the first Transformers, but it was always kind of there in Basieland. And I feel like Fast and the Furious has kind of always been Basie adjacent. I mean, like, I feel like the action genre, on one hand, the jet rocket fuel is baziness. Like, there is a part of, of modern action movies that is about being outrageous and ridiculous and could never happen in real life. The Fast and Furious 3 crew in here, they are like the Anthony Anderson of this movie. What Anthony Anderson was to his Transformers film. And I do feel like, Stuart, you, you come from a different place than us. Like, there's a lot of ridiculous stuff. that, Like, the, those crank films, th those are very different than this. Even though they're ridiculous, like, I, I feel like you lump it all together because maybe you're not as familiar with the genre where Arnie and I could parse these things out a little bit more. That's why I'm interested in to hear you guys. It's more interesting to hear your opinion than to voice my own. Because, of course, everyone knows I hate this. It's goddamn <laughs> awful. Of course it's awful. I could scream to the high heavens about all this stupid shit and be right there with you. I guess I'm more curious as to why I felt in the past you shouted me down and said, no, ridiculous is great. And now you're like, oh, this thing stank. It's just gone a bit far. It's about reasoning. It's about setup. It's about adding just enough. I think, Jacob, I'm going to speak for you a little. We're both going in there with our sense of disbelief already suspended. Yeah, I'm not expecting this to be real. Correct. But... At a certain point, you take advantage of our suspension of disbelief into just, we're not even going to bother trying. Okay. Yeah, when, when you have cars Tarzanning and villains who I have no idea why they're even villains, like, oh, you don't care anymore, so no, I'm not going to find enjoyment. I'm not going to give you that leeway this time because you've stopped giving an F, so I've stopped giving an F. So it sounds to me, what I'm hearing is, it's not that they've done these things because it's creative, they've done it because it's lazy. The problem is they're not trying to make it work. They're just halfway doing it and expecting you to go along. Yeah, find some creative solutions. Again, going that Tarzan scene is so indicative to me of this film because have that planned out. Have Vin be an active protagonist that figured out how to swing his car instead of him just driving over a ramp and a rope magically attaching to it. That's as, con as concise as I could put it with this film. But I will just say, as just a thrill ride, which is, again, you guys keep talking about plots and how hurtful they are, I've trained my mind to look away from that, particularly for the the last four or five of these movies and just try to appreciate what I do think they can do. I think Justin Lin's staging of these car chases are as good as, as any of them. I mean, honestly, I, I don't feel like that has been a drop in quality. The most important thing this franchise could do, it's still doing well, in my opinion. I agree. The car stuff is still good. I don't know that we're focusing enough on the car stuff here because, again, I lose track of whose car is where at sometimes. Sometimes Letty is just around. Roman and Tej are in space. That one I know. <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> but where it goes too far is when they're using their magnets again. And here's where I'm like, magnets don't work that way. A magnet can pull metal towards you. A magnet cannot push metal away. A magnet pushes other magnets away because of polarity. It does not just... You, if you've ever had a magnet and it picks up some metal, if you turn it around, it's not pushing the metal away. That's not what happens. But Dom attaches his car to the back of Jacob's truck, climbs on the top, 
that big goon of Otto's comes up there. His name is Lieutenant Sue. Okay, Mary Sue climbs up there. (laughs) They're fighting and there's all these street signs. And I think, oh, he's going to be hit by one and that's the cool way he's going to die. No, he's going to be hit by one and he doesn't flinch. He leaves a body-sized hole in that sign like Scooby-Doo. Now, he I mean, he's Colossus fighting the Hulk. What is this movie? And, uh, Jacob, you're right. Did they all get the Idris Elba super soldier serum? <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing here. Or is Roman right? Again, he's been kind of arguing throughout this. And now that they're in space, it, the theory is being tested again of like, maybe they are just indestructible superheroes. Maybe we should just accept this saga. What it's begging us to accept is, yes, we are invincible. Yeah, you know what? I think I could accept it if in Fasten, is that what we're calling it? Faten? <laughs> when we get there, we find out that Mr. Nobody turned this whole crew into Idris Elba's. Like, okay, fine. My problem with this final chase with, I, I, they call this the armadillo, at least behind the scenes, with this 14-foot-long armored truck, is that it's just not very exciting. It's cool. They're, they're tossing real cars at it to, you know, make it look like the magnet's pulling them in to try to stop it. But it's not a well-shot chase. The the editing's awful. Like, you talked about it, Arnie. Like, you get confused who's in whose car. It, it's, again, a car film. you got to make that real clear to make this this chase exciting. If I don't know who's in what car that's that's coming up, I don't. you lose tension that way. I agree with that. I The one part that I really lo- like, again, I had, I'd seeded everything to this movie. Do your worst. Okay, beat me, hit me. I can take it all. But when L gets up in the gunner and starts shooting at policemen <laughs> at, at the cops i'm like this is a child does han approve of this this han did han teach you how to like mow down cops with a gunner in like the middle of georgia <laughs> to, to be fair i think she just took out some electrical lines and those tangled up the cars <laughs> Oh, okay. Uh, To me, the perception, and I guess this is what you're talking about with staging and blocking the action is it when I see cop cars following them and then I cut and see this, this ninja girl at the gunner, all of a sudden I'm just like, wait a minute. I mean, I know we've gotten more critical of police, but man, this is just like straight up murder. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. I mean, can't we all agree this is a line too far, liberals? <laughs> and the thing is, though, even though I knew she cut the power lines, the police cars still flip and roll. I still think there's some serious injuries. <laughs> yeah, people still die. This is Man of Steel all over. Like, yeah. mass casualties in this this Eastern European city. I hope Han's going to spank her. That's all I can hope for. To spank her hard for this one. <laughs> That's that's another spinoff, and it's X-rated. <laughs> but, uh, didn't you kind of want to cut back to Brian, like, cutting the crust off PB&J sandwiches, like, in the middle of this? <laughs> yeah, just just cut to someone's, like, you don't have to show the face. Just show hands, like, make it, hey, little Brian, your PB&J's ready. <laughs> Meanwhile, Brian, yes. <laughs> while they're doing all of this. Meanwhile, space. Again, I want the Tej and Roman spinoff, but there's something about when Roman says to Tej, Two guys from the ghetto, and we're in space. That actually had a moment of thinking about, you know, American opportunity and the interracial relations of the Fast Saga and how it's really a colorblind franchise. I didn't even necessarily think about their background or that the two who went to space were black. They're just part of the family. And 
I didn't even think about that. You don't remember Homeboys from Outer Space? This is just like one of those episodes. <laughs> yes, it is, in more ways than one. But, <laughs> of course, Roman's being Roman. He didn't want to parachute in the car in 8, and now he he's scared of the rocket. I don't know what plane they're on to get up there. I, I can't follow any of this because of the editing. I think you're right. I think this is where they would have approached the... Tokyo Drift Trio, and the Tokyo Drift Trio may have had that plane that they were racing and put the Pontiac Fiero on it. Yeah, I think that's what I'm inferring, is that originally when we when we meet them, they're trying to see if they can make their car faster than a jet taking off. They end up putting that car on that jet. And I keep thinking, okay, you can get to space, but can you get back? Right. They say something about they'll be in free fall, which again... Can't you just make a spaceship? Just call it a spaceship. Don't call it a car. Like, I don't want to be in a car in space. We see booster rockets, like, fall from this this body. <laughs> like, it's crazy. It is a space shuttle. All right. So just taking the temperature. Love it, hate it, or somewhere in between? I, I would say I'm somewhere in between just because, again, the appeal. Look, I know they're not going to really go to space to shoot this. <laughs> but, again, can we get some kind of practical, like, actually have a car, like, with boosters? It's CGI, this is easy. Like, so it's I'm not impressed, but I don't have a problem with it, Stuart. Like, the, the, this has not crossed my line for being furious with this franchise. Like, Pontiac to space, okay, sure, why not? I firmly believe that before Now Playing Ends, a movie will be shot in space, and I think Tom Cruise will be in it. But I am okay with the space stuff. It's the right level of ridiculousness, and I think Ludacris and Tyrese are playing it right. It's the stuff on the ground that's bothering me, and the change in tone. The stuff in space tries to be a little bit serious like they're gonna have a self-sacrifice moment out of armageddon or deep impact you thought that was serious see i thought that was a parody of a serious moment in an action movie as the candy bar wrappers start floating around yeah serious stuff and on the ground though we've got these chases and i just would rather have the ending all be in space truthfully yeah getting back to the ground just for any potential supervillains out there can i give some advice don't do your backstabbing until after you've uploaded your, uh, I don't know, <laughs> magical stuff to a satellite. The fact that Otto is going to turn on Jacob in the middle of trying to pull off this plot because he's made some back-end deal with Cypher, this is the dumbest thing ever. Like, wait for your plan to work and then just shoot Jacob. Done. Easy. Again, the Crossing the line, Stuart. This is more of a storytelling plot thing than, than any of the action, though. It's just, this is dumb. Wait to pull off your heist before you start turning your back on people and, and backstabbing them. How did Lieutenant Sue die? I lost that thread. The big guy that was fighting Cena. He was standing on a car and another car got magnetized and flipped and hit him. And I guess that killed him. He could take a street sign, but he can't take a whole car. Or he's coming back next movie. If he landed on the car, he would have been fine. But the car lands on you... Not so good. Again, I, you could either hate it or love it. The fact that like John Cena is now like dangling off a of, like hood of a car and Mia is going to pull him up to safety. Like this is while she's hacking the feed because she told some story about how she used to hack into police stations to find him. And now she could be a part of this satellite feed thing. That's right. We got three hackers now. They got to cross this over with hackers. Like, <laughs> let's get that uh, crossover going. Get back Angelina Jolie or Matthew Lillard. Yeah, let's get them all back. 
I want serial killer as part of the Fast Five family. But yeah, here is the strange turn. We've had Charlize Theron talking to Otto in the best dialogue of the movie because Otto is going on and on about Star Wars. He's like, get me everything. Get me X-Wings. Get me the Millennium Falcon. Get me goddamn Chewbacca if you can find him. And let's not forget Justin Lin's a huge Star Wars fan. I wouldn't doubt if they give him a movie for Star Wars. Remember Han's last name is Solo? Yes. But then she says that Otto is from Star Wars. He's like, I'm Luke Skywalker. You're Yoda. Because he's wise? Because he's a puppet with a hand up his ass. <laughs> uh, joke I've heard. I, I was not laughing. I laughed at that one. I've never, I mean, I've heard the joke that Yoda's a puppet and Kermit has a hand up his ass, but I've never heard it in the relation of you're Yoda because you're a puppet. That was enough to make Otto decide he wanted a woman's hand up his ass instead of a man's. That's fine, but wait to do the backstabbing <laughs> until after you pulled off the heist. I'm okay with that. Just their timing is awful. Yeah, he set himself up to lose. And he, I guess he's in this super tanker thing when it's flipping and all of that. Because like, Yeah, it doesn't even feel like they care about Otto because they. I think they like CGI'd him into a shot into that armadillo when Dom is flipping it just so we could explain why he's not in the film anymore. Just like, I don't know, Mr. maybe Mr. Nobody was in there too and just died. <laughs> we just didn't see that part. Like, they don't care. Yeah, they're losing the characters and not because they're dying. They just can't keep them all in the air. But John Cena comes to the rescue. He gets in the car Dom left magnetically attached to the armadillo. And now he's joining the team, not because he's a good guy, but I think for revenge because he's just been betrayed. Yeah, real strange. I figured this was going to happen, but I figured it was next movie or the final movie. Like I... The fact that they were gonna, they were this quick to turn Cena lets me know that must be his wrestler image. We don't accept the idea that he could be a bad guy. We must end the film with him positive on the side of good. You know what? I'm fine with John Cena. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. You assholes betrayed me, so I'm gonna make sure you don't get Ares. Fine. They flip the armadillo. It's a good-looking stunt. I can't say it's better than anything I've seen before in the Fast and Furious franchises. That's the other problem with them is they've done so many good car stunts. How do they continue the one-upsmanship? I mean, we saw this in The Dark Knight. They flipped a semi. Sure, this is taller, but I've seen that done for real. When I watched that behind-the-scenes stuff, they did not talk about actually flipping this armadillo. Though it was a real car, they said it was so heavy, it was hard to even get it going. So I think that's all CGI when we see it sticking three stories in the air. So I'm not really excited by this and then john cena he killed people he has mr nobody somewhere he has tried to take over the world dom's gonna let him go i mean they're friends with shaw now and he killed han so why not as you've already pointed out they're emulating the first movie this is the new brian and brian did this for me so i'm gonna do it for you but that first movie feels like ancient history, right? Can you imagine if they had turned into a movie as modest as that original film? Yeah, imagine if this movie was about just hacking VCRs. Right, yeah, just standing on top of a semi and, and raiding the back of a Best Buy truck. Amazon Prime truck these days. Okay, you're right, yeah. They couldn't do it. They are so far removed from that. It's like what they say about plastic surgery. It's They're unrecognizable to themselves. Like, they've gone so far deep into that. They could never make John Cena look like Paul Walker. It just bothers me that this is the movie's big bad. If he was a goon, 
if he was being taken advantage of, I would go with it. I think Cypher's the big bad. You've ignored it because she's been ignored by the movie, but she's the one that has remained evil. She has this final moment here where we think she's flying around in a stealth bomber and it's just her at the cockpit of a drone, but she is the one that walks away thinking about how she's going to get him next time. But got to give this movie one thing. They spared no expense because I knew something about the International Space Station. The International Space Station has no airlock. There's no way to get in and out. So when Tej and Roman crash their car into that satellite and think it's the end, and then they get out of the car because the International Space Station's coming by, I'm like, that's not going to help them. They can't get in. Well, guess what? December 21st, 2020, the first airlock ever was put on the International Space Station, thus adding verisimilitude to this movie. And the funniest line in this movie, when the person aboard is like, because the they were in deep diving suits, one of the people on the space station says, why do they look like minions? Because this is made by Universal, and Universal is probably going to be pushing a new Minions movie soon. I got to say, I've changed my whole opinion. They they knew that an airlock was put on the space station. They had, That addresses my biggest problem. Recommend. <laughs> and you're saying they put that on just a few months ago, but this movie was supposed to come out a year ago, so... They know the future. Time travel's the next film. They actually done it. <laughs> you know what? We joke, but we joked about cars in space. So I really do wonder. I really do wonder if time travel might not be the factor next time. Early on in that mind scene, they're like, we got to go 80 miles an hour. I'm like, oh, this is back to the future. Like, why not make it 88? Oh, my God. It's going to be fast to the future. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it could be. Where else is there to go now that you've gone to space? Fast 10 the future. Oh, my God. No, it's got to be FX. Yeah, there you go. That's cooler. And Little B will be the one that invents it. Because we got to end with the <laughs> fact that Little Brian needs to be taught these lessons. He's Dom's going to take him to the old crusty racetrack where he learned everything in life. And uh, let him say grace at the picnic. I was laughing because I'm like, Brian's not there. I'm like, well, little Brian's there. So he's not babysitting anymore. <laughs> Where Mia's there. I'm like, is this the next day? He just hasn't time. No, Tej and Roman are there. And they talked about how they were on the space station for like weeks. So Brian's had time to get there. Where like, are they not going to address this? But no, they have someone pull up in a car. <laughs> Yeah, this is, I think, a hard thing to do because the audience has accepted that Brian died because Paul Walker died. So when you're trying to pretend this game of like, oh, yeah, he's driving up now and we're just going to end the movie before we see him, it feels maybe a little disrespectful. To me, it was sad because they're getting ready to say grace and Vin goes, there's still a chair empty. And I'm like, oh, they set a place for the fallen friend, pour one out for the homie. And then this car pulls in, and even though I've watched all seven, I guess I didn't realize that Paul Walker specifically had the blue car. I remember he was racing in a white car for a while. I mean, he he changed up cars a lot, but my audience cheered when the blue car pulled up. Cheered. Really? Hmm. Okay. That, I didn't have that reaction, so to me, it felt no. like more confusion about like, but I thought he was dead. You know, like, if you haven't done the marathon and really thought about it, you would confuse character with actor, and you would think that Brian couldn't come to the picnic. Like I said, I firmly believe the rumor I read that we were going to see Paul Walker's face. I think it would have been tasteful. Yeah, maybe they even did it and didn't like the way it came off, you know? I believe that, and... What I read in interviews with Vin is that Brian is still a part of this universe, 
And we're not going to finish this story without keeping Brian a part of this universe and a part of the stories. Brian will factor in the future. Yeah. I'm telling you, time travel. Go back and save him. But he's dead in life. You can't. I mean, you can bring Han back. Just recast. They're really going to invent time travel, Arnie. You're not getting it. They're going to invent time travel, (laughs) go back, save Paul Walker, and then put him in part 10. Just like they sent the airlock to the space station. Maybe they can listen to these podcasts and fix these movies, too. (laughs) Well, they've done some kind of tease. I think it's more for Hobbs and Shaw, too. That's what I was expecting when we get our mid credit sequence and it's you know i could have figured the guy with putting the kickboxing moves on the informant in the bag was going to be statham was it mr nobody in the bag where is he i was still waiting i don't think it's someone we're supposed to know or at least i didn't recognize the person he was beating it's more just the joke of shaw doesn't even need the information that's being told to him he's already got it on thumb drive but we hear the knock And I'm thinking, okay, this must be the rock at the door. They're going to tell that movie, nope, Arnie, this is the moment you've wanted maybe ever since it happened in six. Well, no, I I wanted Shaw to pay for his crimes. I didn't necessarily want Han to survive a clear death where they buried a body and everything else. But hey, if the next one's Han and Shaw, I'm okay with that. (laughs) Han and Shaw. They're going to fight, right? I mean, they got to work it out. So there'll be some beating before there's a truce, but maybe it'll be both. Han's never been a fighter. I'm surprised he was a sniper in this one. I guess Mr. Nobody gave him some spy training. I mean, if Mia's like doing full on MMA moves now, why not? Why not? Oh, let's give him the answer. Jacob Stewart, do you recommend F9? Jacob. Yeah, I am not finine with this movie. <laughs> and... Look, we've been talking about what is the line with ridiculousness? Like, where do we draw that? And and this is the best example I could use. And maybe I was just triggered by this as I thought about this this example. But Stuart, you're always talking about you were the younger brother and, and your older brother didn't want to do anything with you. And I was the older brother and I had younger brothers, but the, the one that was directly under me, the reason I didn't want to play with them is because I would try to play, replay G.I. Joe's. G.I. Joe based on something ridiculous. This multinational army fighting Cobra and, and their space shuttles and, and crazy vehicles. Like, it's, it's already stupid. It's, you know, it's a cartoon made for kids. Although it's also a movie that you guys are reviewing this month. <laughs> Very true. But when we be playing, like, uh, you know, I'm pew, pew, pew shooting at you and, and he's Duke and he's like, I don't want Duke to die. So all of a sudden he doesn't have a jetpack, He doesn't have a spaceship. He doesn't have anything. He could just jump 50 feet in the air to get away and float in the air. And like, I was infuriated. I'm like, no, there's gotta be a line. There's gotta be some kind of stakes to this playtime that we're having. And like, Reed did not play very much because he always wanted to go way more fantastical than I was willing to accept. So maybe... This movie just triggered me. I'm I'm willing to admit that it brought up some (laughs) painful childhood memories where the family wasn't getting along. It was a real Dom Jacob situation going on there. That sounds hard. I'm so sorry for you and your brother. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we we get along a little better now. But so for me, that's what it is. There has to be some kind of stakes. And this one, I feel like I've gone vegetarian with this film because there are no stakes. Like they have pushed (laughs) that line where just magical stuff is going to happen to resolve cars going off cliffs or cars going on bridges that are falling out, whatever. And so it it loses that nice little sweet spot of like, yeah, this is dumb fun. Now it's just kind of dumb and I'm not finding enjoyment in it. So F9, what does the F stand for? 
fast, furious, fate, family. In my opinion, it means no Fs given. They don't care about the plot. They don't care about good stunts that are going to engage you and adrenalize you. It's all just kind of dumb and ridiculous in in a way that is too much for me to absorb, unlike maybe five, six, seven, like cars flying from building to building. Like I talked about it. Do crazy stuff with cars. I'll accept that. I will not accept the incredible... Vin Diesel pulling down a building with two chains in his arms. Like, I got no Fs to give for this movie. Not recommend. I'd prefer it if he had the rapper two chains in his arms and pulled down a building. That would add another movie. <laughs> Stuart. Again, it's hard for me not to take some kind of glee in the, in the way that this is turned. Because, like, there's a satisfaction <laughs> when you know that you're right. And, like, other people are like, oh, it's fine. Like, you see the kid acting bad. He, like, kicked the dog and he said a curse word. Oh, that's funny. That's fine. It just let him do what the kid's going to do. And then he grows up and burns your house down. Now you're mad. Now you're mad that the house is in flames. Well, I knew it was going to end that way. Other than Billy, what do you think of the movie? <laughs> I'm taking some of this metaphor from real life, but it's also just to to dramatize the point of like, this has been an offensively stupid series from the very first one, frankly. And all of the recommends that I've given have been qualified because it's always been steeped in a stupidity, capital S double O, that I think that it's, it's, I feel like it's part of the charm. Like, it's weird to see you turn on something that used to be a part of what I thought you loved about it. I would thought anybody that liked Fast and the Furious would have to love ridiculousness in order to truly embrace what it was peddling. So, yes, this is the absolutely most stupid installment yet. Too stupid? I'm hearing that from you guys. But I would also argue, Justin Lin behind the camera, it's still got some pretty great car chases. I still feel like it does many of the things that I thought the series did well, just as well. And so, I don't know. It's kind of, do I recommend this movie for being the burr in the side of the fans? Like, giving them too much of what they want? Do I recommend it because it's kind of a brown arrow hilarious movie? I found myself laughing at it many times. Do I give it a a recommend because, you know, it's fairly... It's about as good as the last one. The truth of the matter is, I haven't seen a lot of progression other than it took the deer even more. Oh, you'll accept this? Well, let me see if you'll accept space and Cardi B. I think because of Cardi B, I'm going to give this a recommend. What? I'm going to say... That's all it takes is a Cardi B cameo. I think the fact that they had that shameless, needless, stupid Cardi B plug in here, it solidifies what I think about this series and what they deem as important. F9, watch it for the wet-ass pussy. <laughs> F10, wow. Out of everyone, I didn't expect Stuart to recommend it for that reason. I didn't expect this to get any green arrows. Is it green or brown? Yeah, that's got to be brown. Come on. I mean, yeah, it's brown. Yeah, it's not good. Yes. If you're watching it because you're laughing at a cameo, that's a brown arrow. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Absolutely. Let me be clear. This is a terrible film. That's obvious. <laughs> I I don't need to say that. Like it's You can smell it coming from miles away, but it's hilarious when it arrives. You can smell that wet-ass pussy coming from miles away. Yes. The wet-ass <laughs> pussy smells hilarious. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of text speak I don't do. I don't send eggplant emojis. I don't type L-8-R for later. I don't type 
how art letter U doing, like nothing compares to you. I don't do that. And I don't type F9 when I mean fine, because that's what F9 is in text speak. F9 doesn't do anything on a keyboard. So they must be saying this movie is fine. That's what they're shooting for. Fine. Not great. Not fast. Not furious. Fine. Status quo. I agree with that. It is fine. Justin Lin, will you do another one? How much are you going to pay me? Fine. I mean, that's where I feel we are. But going in, yeah, I wondered when my audience was laughing all the time, it didn't feel like they were laughing at the movie. So do they just all enjoy it in a brown era, Rocky Horror kind of way now that like the movie's going to be so dumb that I'm going to laugh at it? I never heard cheers of excitement during the races or anything, but I heard laughter. And this movie, I felt it's proud. It's proud of how stupid it is. Mm -hmm. It is proud to make the dumbest shit and then break the fourth wall and look at the audience like, you're eating this bullshit up, aren't you? Yep. And it's making me mad. But I agree with you, Stuart. I don't think this is much worse than Part 8, but I didn't like Part 8. And then I'm really glad that I went back and rewatched every film. Now, I remembered some of them. I didn't really need to rewatch part one or part five to tell you everything that happened, but I like to. And I went back and relived them, and then I looked, I didn't re-listen to our shows, I ran out of time, but I did go back and look at my letterbox rating, and universally, I was exactly the same. So I don't feel like I'm aging out of this franchise. But you know what I miss? I miss the fastness. These movies have turned furious, but I miss the fast. Before the movie started, Marjorie turned to me and said, does this mean I'm going to walk out of here and for the next six weeks you're going to be bugging me to buy a charger again? And I said, depends how good the movie is. If it's Fast Five, I might have a charger within six months. And if it's Fast Eight, I'm not going to bring it up again. I miss the feeling of walking out of the theater and wanting to drive fast. And even Fast Five gave me that. And Fast Seven gave me that. And here, I didn't get adrenalized at all. I didn't get adrenalized during the movie. And I drove home like I had a baby on board sign on my car. Of course, all these people also have baby on board signs on their race cars. But baby was bored. I didn't enjoy this film. I think it's about the same as the last one, which was a not recommend and making me really wish that they'd stopped when Paul Walker died, because uh, that was three green arrows from us. You can do your spinoffs, do your Hobbs and Shaws and things, but Fast and Furious, I can't believe there's two more when they need to hit the brakes, or at least take it into the shop and get it fixed. But this is a not recommend. And that's a trend now. That's, what, three in a row you haven't liked? Two. I mean, seven I liked. I was talking about Hobbs and Shaw. Okay, if you count Hobbs and Shaw, that's correct. It seems to be that you have not enjoyed this direction away from street racing i was fine with it in five and six and seven where they went away from street racing but it was still street racers now it's the hulk and it's colossus and it's chun lee i mean i don't and it's rocket raccoon and groot in space and eating candy I don't know what I'm doing here anymore. I don't, they don't know what they're doing here anymore. Which is part of the fun, I would argue. Brown Arrow fun, which is not a good movie. Yeah. Just want to clarify that. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. 
as someone that really, if they were truthfully, straight up honest, hasn't liked any of these movies. Yes, that's what I'm enjoying. And I never green arrowed out of guilty pleasure. I feel like some of these are legit good movies. And I haven't seen one of those in a while from them. And so I'm disappointed and I've gone from being so excited. I mean, we wouldn't be doing this franchise if I hadn't pushed the pedal to the metal against both of your instincts and said, we need to do it. Yeah, neither of us wanted to do this. This is all you, Arnie. (laughs) That's why I find your opinion the most interesting, to see that you've soured this much as the person that took it. I don't know if you took it seriously, but you you seriously got into it. You You didn't treat it as a joke. Yeah, so I went into this one thinking it could be good. I knew they were going to space. I knew John Cena was in it. You knew Han was back. Yeah, I knew Han was back. I was pre-sold, and they lost me. So I I can't believe it, but this is a no. And I don't know when they're doing the next two. Well, I knew they're doing it because this has been the biggest post-pandemic movie it's made almost $70 million this weekend, and it's going to be over $400 million worldwide already. Mm, okay. Well, that's a good sign for movie theaters, if not for movies. So, yeah, people come out for this film, and we'll be there, too, because that's what we do. <laughs> Meanwhile, this Friday, if you want to continue globetrotting, we head back to Sweden for the third and final Swedish Dragon Tattoo Millennium film, The Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest. That can't end well. However angry I am, when I kick Hornet's Nest, it comes back on me. Really bad. (laughs) Yeah, are we going to get stung as viewers? (laughs) Never run a lawnmower over a Hornet's Nest. I speak from experience. That sounds awful, yeah. (laughs) Or a tricycle. It was a wasp nest. And then we'll be going back to Tokyo for more assassinations and incomprehensibility, I think. Takashi Miki, one of the great Japanese gore hounds, has uh, dipped into the video game world and has made an adaptation of Yakuza. And Yakuza Like a Dragon brings us back to the arcade next Tuesday before we get to Black Widow. Yeah, and I just want to say, Fast and the Furious, you said good news for theaters. Well, this is the start of where Now Playing becomes really Now Playing because we've got so many theatrical visits coming up. For donors, after we finish Dragon Tattoo, the week next week, we're doing the Forever Purge for our donors. Then the week after that, we've got Black Widow. Then the week after that, Loki the miniseries. We are all about new releases this summer. Yeah, by my count, we're going to the movie theater nine times in the next two months. So that's pretty high. Movies are back, baby, and so are we. So if Yakuza doesn't exactly rev your engine, I'm pretty sure there'll be something in theaters that will, because this is now playing, and that's how we roll. Father, thank you for the gathering of friends. Father, we give thanks for all the choices we've made because that's what makes us who we are. Let us forever cherish the loved ones we've lost along the way. And most of all, thank you for fast cars. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. You tell your boss exactly who did this. Tell him there's more coming. 
Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review. You gotta get out of here. I ain't running anymore. Also at NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find more movie reviews, including Pitch Black, Rambo, Robocop, The Avengers, and hundreds more. You say what? This just went from Mission Impossible to Mission and Freaking Sanity. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this review with other listeners. You're in. There's always room for family. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Sounds like a whole lot of vaginal activity to me. Links to our social media pages are at NowPlayingPodcast.com. See exclusive videos and interviews on the Now Playing Podcast YouTube channel. You can find the link on our homepage. I'll see you soon, Toretto. Your pockets are left, ours are empty. We hungry. Now Playing is an independent podcast with no sponsors or ads. It's donations from listeners like you that keep Now Playing on the air. You got the best crew in the world standing right in front of you. Give them a reason to stay. You can give money by clicking the support link at the top of NowPlayingPodcast.com. You don't realize how much you appreciate something until somebody takes it away. Everybody take a real good look. This is what you call mutual respect. All right, let's clear out. Anybody down for another race? Now Playing's Fast and Furious series is edited by Arnie. Let's put all this mess back together. That's going to take a while. Then you better get started. Now Playing credit narration by Brock. Why me? Because you got the biggest mouth. That's for damn sure. Now Playing is not affiliated with Universal Pictures or the makers or distributors of these films. The film discussed in this podcast is the intellectual property of its copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. You see, I got a problem with authority. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Just because you know how I ride doesn't mean you know me. Show me how you drive, I'll show you who you are. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2021. All rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Money will come and go. We know that. The most important thing in life will always be the people in this room. Right here. Right now. Salute me, familia. Ares, Wonder Woman's dad, Wonder Woman, Gal Gadot, Gal Gadot, Giselle, Giselle, Fast and Furious. It's six degrees of Fast and Furious. Ares isn't, no, Zoop, no, Zeus is her dad. No, Zeus molded her from clay. Ares is the dad. I don't care what that movie said. <laughs> I don't even know where you're getting that from. The first Wonder Woman movie where she fought Ares. It was a discussion. Yeah, they say that he, that was not her dad. Arnie was, if you go listen to that show, Arnie is very insistent that he is. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's a, he's not letting it go. It's fine. Oh, he's convinced that that's the dad? Okay. All right.
you talk to me about, oh, this wouldn't happen like that. Get off bus. This franchise has never been about what you could do in a car. It's never been about that. Congratulations, Stuart. You got the one PG-13 F-bomb of the podcast. (laughs) The Fast and Furious 3 crew in here, they are like the Anthony Anderson of this movie. What Anthony Anderson was to his Transformers film. I don't even remember him in a Transformers film. I I was thinking of the one where he had the, the money in the kangaroo. What was that one? Was that Kangaroo Jack? <laughs> yeah, that's the one. <laughs> you could smell that wet-ass pussy coming from miles away. Yes. <laughs> the wet-ass pussy smells hilarious. <laughs> is that is that PG-13 okay? Like, that's a, that's a song on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've gone way beyond that. I think we're a hard PG-13. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a lot of text speak i don't do i don't send zucchini emojis i don't type l eggplant eggplant i don't send eggplant emojis see i don't even know which fruit it is i I know i can tell you don't send them because you didn't even (laughs) i'm like what does zucchini mean i don't know what i don't even think there is a zucchini emoji that would just be a pickle is there a pickle emoji i don't know but eggplant is what we decided on for dick for some reason (laughs) Mmm. <laughs>